This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. The following presentation of the Midland City Council will begin in a moment. The Midland City Council is the city's legislative body that sets policies, approves budgets, determines tax rates, and adopts ordinances and resolutions to govern the city. It is made up of five elected officials that represent the wards in which they reside, and councilmen are elected to two-year terms. The mayor is elected from among the council members by vote of the city council. City council meetings are held at 7 p.m. two Mondays per month in council chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on AT&T UVerse, or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. Good evening and welcome to our May 8, 2023 meeting of City Council. Please stand and join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, Lacey, would you please call roll? Honorable Mayor Dalker. Here. Ron Wilhelm. Here. Councilman Solar. Here. Councilman Wasbinski. Here. Councilman Arnaski. Here. All right. Thank you very much. Does anyone on council have a conflict of interest with anything on this evening's agenda? No, Madam Mayor. Nope. Okay. Very good. Then that takes us to the consent agenda. All resolutions marked with an asterisk are considered to be routine and will be enacted by one motion. There will be no separate consideration of these items unless a citizen or council member so requests during the discussion stage of the motion to adopt the consent agenda as indicated. If there's even a single request, the item will be removed from the consent agenda without further motion and considered in its listed sequence in regular fashion. Can we have a motion to approve the consent agenda? So move. Second. second. Okay, first and second. Is there anyone in council who would like an item removed from the consent agenda? Yes, Mayor, I'd like item number 12 removed from the consent agenda. Okay. Anyone else want an item removed from the consent agenda? Okay, anyone from the audience want an item removed from the consent agenda? All right, seeing no more, then all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? All right, that passes 5-0. Okay, that takes us down to item number two on the agenda, which has to do with some of our budding artists here in Midland. It's one of my favorite things. It's an opportunity to see from a children's perspective what they think is beautiful about Midland. So with that, I am going to turn it over to Miss Melissa Farley and she'll introduce that. Good evening and welcome to the 36th annual Make Midland Beautiful Art Celebration. This program is sponsored by the Beautification Advisory Committee in cooperation with Midland Public Schools and local parochial schools. The goal of this program is to raise awareness of the many beautiful aspects of our community. 
Over 800 children from second and sixth grade participated in the art celebration this year. Art teachers and principals selected two posters from each participating classroom to represent their school. These selected posters were on display in April at the Grace A. Dow Memorial Library. This is the 11th year we have had the opportunity to display the posters at the library, and we appreciate the support we received from the library staff. Trisha Jindritska from Midland Public Schools coordinated the team of judges who selected one poster to represent each school. The children who created and selected the, or the, the children who created the selected posters are here with us this evening to be recognized by City Council. Special thanks to the Beautification Advisory Committee for supporting this event, all Midland Public, Parochial, and Charter School art teachers who helped inspire these wonderful works of art, Mrs. Kosick for the beautiful vases in front of City Council this evening made by the Northeast Middle School students, and most of all to the children for using their creative energy to remind us of what a beautiful, wonderful community we live in. Now, without further delay, I'd like to ask Mayor Donker and Abby Clairhout, the chair of the Beautification Advisory Committee, to come forward so we can begin the council recognition of these wonderful works of art. And starting with our sixth graders, Lillian Bauer, Jefferson Middle School. <laughs> Owen English, St. Bridget's Catholic School. Asher Franks, Calvary Baptist Academy. Gabe Martin, St. John's Lutheran. Jalen Seibert, Northeast Middle School. And for our second graders, Helen Block, Chestnut Hill Elementary. <laughs> Crew Dilbeck, Calvary Baptist. <laughs> Denny Doro, St. Bridget's Catholic. Milana Frazier, Central Park Elementary. <laughs> Quinn Martin, St. John's Lutheran. <laughs> Emily McCaddy, Seabird Elementary. Eleanor Meyer, Adams Elementary. <laughs> Beckett Alvera, Woodcrest Elementary. Everly Shinborn, Plymouth Elementary. Beautiful. And a final round of applause for our winners. 
and parents, you may now join your children. Thank you. really quiet in here, didn't it? <laughs> All right, that takes us now down to item number three. Um, and we're going to be um, recognized this evening, one of our local sororities. And Selena Harris is here to tell us about that. Thank you, Mayor Dunker. Founded on the campus of Howard University in 1908, the Alpha Kappa, Kappa Alpha Sorority is the oldest Greek-lettered organization established by African-American college-trained women. Today it boasts over 355,000 members and more than 1,000 chapters, including its 69th chapter, which was founded here in Midland in April of 1978. The Mu Alpha Omega chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority is celebrating its 45th anniversary. And here to recognize them with a proclamation is Elisa Malone, president of the Mu Alpha Omega chapter who is here tonight to accept tonight's proclamation. Very good. Casey, can you please read the resolution? This resolution authorizes the mayor to issue a proclamation recognizing Mu Alpha Omega Chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, Inc., and its 45 years of service to the Midland community and the Great Lakes Bay region. Okay, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. First and second, any discussion? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? All right, that passes 5-0. And Lacey, will you please read the proclamation? Whereas Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated is the oldest Greek letter organization established by African-American college-trained women with over 355,000 members worldwide, and whereas on April 22, 1978, 16 distinguished career-minded and community-focused women founded the Mu Alpha Omega chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Inc. in Midland, Michigan. And whereas the chapter is dedicated to helping communities in the Great Lakes Bay region through volunteerism and philanthropy with emphasis on Midland and Bay County. And whereas Alpha Kappa Alpha's 45 years of service include a variety of community milestones, such as its connection to the founding and support of Shelter House in Midland in the 1980s and whereas the chapter's current initiative include STEM-onomics, family STEM nights with the Midland Center for the Arts, provided hot meals to Midland residents through friendship ministry at Midland First United Methodist Church, mentorship, scholarships, summer camp resources, 
and college presentation to students from the Great Lakes Bay community. Now, therefore, we, the Mayor and City Council of the City of Midland, Michigan, do hereby recognize Mu Alpha Omega Chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Inc. and its 45 years of service to the Midland community and the Great Lakes Bay region. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And it's really nice to have this opportunity um, to give this to you in person. You know, it does take lots of different organizations and people to make the community a great place to live. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Congratulations on 45 years. And if you'd like to say anything about what's going to be happening or how you're going to celebrate, sure. please feel free to take a little bit of time and tell us about that. Okay, okay thank you great. very much. Thank you um, all very much for this distinct honor. My name is Elisa Malone. I am the current president of Mu Alpha Omega Chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And for the last 45 years, this chapter has strived um, to bring in quality programming to the community uh, that everyone can come and participate in and to, to teach um, things about diversity and inclusion as well within the community. Um, coming up, we do have some programming that aligns with our national sorority as a whole. Um, including things of, about planting trees, environmental um, causes, women's causes, and also continuing STEM education for our children. So we have um, a youth leadership initiative that we'll be rolling out the next school year so that we're really excited about. So please keep your ears open for that. So thank you all again, and we really appreciate the community support as well for all of our events. So thank you. That takes us now down to item number four, which has to do with uh, public service recognition week in yeah. Selena. This evening, Midland City Council joins the Midland County Board of Commissioners in celebrating Midland County's public service, services servants by designating the week of May 7th through the 13th as public services recognition week. And each year, the President and Congress designate this first full week of May as Public Service Recognition Week. And we are thrilled to join um, other communities across Michigan and across our nation in recognizing the great work done by our public services. Thank you. Hey, Lacey, will you please read the resolution? This resolution authorizes the mayor to issue a proclamation designating the week of May 7th through the 13th, 2023 as Public Service Recognition Week in the City of Midland to recognize the accomplishments and contributions of government employees at all levels, federal, state, county, city, and township. All right, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Any discussion? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? All right, that passes 5-0, and Lacey, will you please read the resolution? Whereas Midland County residents are serviced every single day by public servants, and Americans across the country are served by public servants at the federal, state, county, city, and township levels, and whereas public employees take not only jobs, but oaths, and whereas the quality of life in the Midland community relies upon the service provided by its public servants, and whereas many public servants, including military personnel, law enforcement, firefighters, emergency responders, and healthcare professionals, risk their lives every day in service to the people of Midland County, the state of Michigan, United States, and around the world, and whereas public servants include clerks, nurses, and inspectors, laborers, computer technicians, and social workers, public safety officers, accountants, and lawyers, and countless other occupations, 
and whereas day in and day out public servants provide the diverse governmental services demanded by the citizens of Midland County with efficiency and integrity, and whereas without these public servants at every level, continuity would be impossible in a democracy that regularly changes its leaders and elected officials. Now therefore, we, the mayor and city council of the city of Midland, Michigan, do hereby proclaim May 7th through the 13th, 2023, as Public Service Recognition Week in the city of Midland, Michigan, to recognize the accomplishments and contributions of government employees at all levels, federal, state, county, city, and township. This is the first time that I, since I've been on council, that we ever recognized our public servants. I'm kind of embarrassed about that because we have some of the finest ones here in Midland at their city level and county and certainly, you know, on all levels. But I think we have some of the very best that work hard every day to make this community the best place to live. And I just stand up and applaud you who were here and all of you and I ask you to join me in thanking them for the great work that they do. You're amazing. All right, Selena. That takes us now down to National Public Works Week. Yeah, so we're drilling down a little deeper into the wonderful public servants that we have here at the City of Midland in specifically recognizing Public Works Week. Um, public Works helps to really galvanize our community and support the infrastructure of what we have to offer here in, the, in Midland and, and other communities, but specifically looking at services like transportation, water, water reclamation, buildings, spaces, parks and grounds, emergency management and first, responsing, first response uh, defenders, solid waste, and right-of-way management. These are just a few of the things that is offered through our Public Works Department. And May 21st through the 27th of 2023 is National Public Works Week, and here to accept a proclamation uh, recognizing National Public Works Week is our fearless leader of our Director of Public Services and the fabulous team we have out at Public Services, Karen Murphy. Great. All right, Lacey, would you please read the resolution? This resolution authorizes the mayor to issue a proclamation designating the week of May 21st through the 27th, 2023 as National Public Works Week in the City of Midland to pay tribute to our public works professionals, engineers, managers, and employees, and to recognize the substantial contributions they make to protecting our national health, safety, and quality of life. All right, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. Okay, first and any discussion? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. Lacey, would you please read this resolution? Whereas public works professionals focus on infrastructure, facilities, and services that are of vital importance to sustainable and resilient communities and to the public health, high quality of life, and well-being of the people of Midland, and whereas these infrastructure facilities and services could not be provided without the dedicated efforts of the public works professionals who are engineers, managers, and employees at all levels of government and the private sector who are responsible for rebuilding, improving, and protecting our nation's transportation, water supply, water treatment, and solid waste systems, public buildings and other structures, and facilities essential for our citizens. And whereas it is in the public interest for the citizens, civic leaders, and children in Midland 
to gain knowledge of and to maintain an ongoing interest and understanding of the importance of public works and public works programs in their respective communities. And whereas 2023 marks the 63rd annual National Public Works Week sponsored by the American Public Works Association, Canadian Public Works Association, now therefore we, the Mayor and City Council of the City of Midland, Michigan, do hereby proclaim May 21st through the 27th of 2023 as National Public Works Week in the City of Midland, Michigan to pay tribute to our public works professionals, engineers, managers, and employees, and to recognize the substantial contributions they make to protecting our, nation, our national health, safety, and quality of life. Thank you very much for all that you do and your team. And you know, it takes, again, it takes a lot of people working together to make great, thing happen, great things happen. And I think we forget about at which every, at every level we have folks. So our thanks for all the work that you do. And it's nice to be celebrating together with the Canadians on this. <laughs> so there, and if you have a few words to share, please go ahead. And I, I just want to say thank you. This, this means a lot to our departments because oftentimes we're unsung heroes. Um, we're the folks that are working in the trenches at night with, in muddy and up to their knees in water and trying to restore facilities while people sleep. Um, so it's really great just to have all the public works um, profession recognized and, and we, we're thankful for this week. So thank you. All right, that takes us now down to our public hearings and this evening we have four um, public hearings so let me just quickly talk about how that works. Um, first we will hear a presentation from um, the de a particular department. Once that presentation is done then council will ask any questions that they might have. Once the we ask our questions then we'll open it up to the public. You can come up, stand on the blue mat, it's kind of the magic map, you need to stand there to look at us and address us. Um, once we've heard all the questions, we'll close the public hearing and then that's our time to deliberate. Um, and with that, I will turn it over to Mr. Kane. Thank you, good evening. So your first public hearing tonight is for zoning petition number 650. This is a request to apply city zoning to a portion of property located at 3903 Lett Street. The subject property is owned by Alpine Village Mobile Home Communities LLC, which is also the property owner. Uh, as I mentioned, the subject property is a portion of land located at 3903 Lett Street. Uh, the portion of the subject property is just shy of a half acre. It currently has Larkin Township zoning, and the proposal is to apply RD Mobile Home Park zoning under the city's zoning ordinance. The subject property was recently annexed into the city of Midland from Larkin Township. And as such, that necessitates applying City of Midland zoning within a two-year period. Uh, Council will recall that zoning petition 649 addressed zoning for the northern half of this parcel, as well as a portion of the parcel to the immediate west. That petition requested the application of RA4 single and two-family zoning to the northern portion of this parcel, as well as that adjacent property. Tonight's request, as I mentioned, is to apply RD mobile home park zoning, which is the same zoning that applies to the properties to the south, east, and west of the subject property. You can zoom in just a little bit closer and you'll see that the subject parcel is vacant. Um, the entirety of the parcel that was annexed into the city is vacant. 
The applicant does intend to subdivide the northern portion that was subject to the prior rezoning um, to allow for the construction of either single or two-family homes and to combine the subject property of tonight's um, zoning petition with the larger mobile home park parcel, uh, which would be consistent with the requested zoning. Future land use in the area is primarily residential. We have high density residential future land use for the subject property and the lands to the north, south, east, and west. A little bit further to the north and to the west, we have medium density residential. And as we move further west, west of Perrin Road, we do have low density residential. For zoning, the zoning map primarily follows that future land use map. And so to the immediate east, west, and south, we do have RD mobile home park zoning. Immediately to the north, due to the recently approved zoning petition, we do have RA4, which is the same zoning that applies to properties north of Lett Street. And then as we move to the west, we do have an RA1 zoning district category west of Perrin Road. The RD mobile home park designation is intended to provide for the location of mobile home parks within the community uh, with associated regulations for such uses. We can run through the review criteria pretty quickly. Um, so first, is the proposed amendment consistent with the city's master plan? Staff's answer is yes. The RD mobile home park designation is consistent with the future land use designation of high density residential. Will the amendment be in accordance with the intent and purpose of the zoning ordinance? And staff's answer is yes. Um, the proposed zoning would allow for the property to be used in a manner that's consistent with RD mobile home park zoning standards. Have conditions changed since adoption of the zoning ordinance that justify the amendment? And staff's answer is yes. This parcel was recently annexed into the city of Midland and due to that annexation, it does require assignment of city zoning within a two year period. Will the amendment merely grant special privileges? No, the proposed zoning is consistent with the zoning of surrounding properties. Will the amendment result in unlawful exclusionary zoning? And staff's answer is no. The amendment will permit land uses that are consistent with the general pattern of development in the area and would not be considered exclusionary. It also aligns with the vision of the city's master plan. Will the amendment set an inappropriate precedent? Staff's answer is no. Um, and this is because the proposal does align with the city's master plan and future land use map. Is the proposed zoning consistent with the surrounding zoning classification of surrounding land? And staff's answer is yes. The proposed zoning would be the same as properties to the southeast and west, and it would be consistent with the adjacent RA4 zoning, which exists to the north. Is the proposed, is it, I'm sorry, is the proposed zoning consistent with the future land use designation of surrounding land in the city's master plan? And the staff's answer is yes. We do have primarily high density residential future land use in the immediate area with medium density to the, a uh, little bit further to the north and lower density as we move further to the west. Could all requirements in the proposed zoning classification be complied with on the subject parcel? Staff's answer is yes, the property is currently vacant and it can be developed in a manner that's consistent with the requirements of the RD zoning district. And finally, is the proposed zoning consistent with trends in land development in the general vicinity? And staff's answer is yes, the property is located in an area of significant attached residential development. We've seen some two family development to the north along Lett Street and we've also seen a recently approved expansion of the adjacent mobile home park uh, last year. To date, we've received no public comments on zoning petition 650. The Planning Commission did recommend unanimously approval of zoning petition 650. And staff also recommends approval based on the following. The proposed zoning is consistent with the city's future land use map. The proposed zoning supports goals of the city's master plan. 
The proposed zoning will facilitate development that is consistent with the pattern and use of development in the general vicinity and assignment of city zoning is necessary given that the property was recently annexed into the city of Midland. So with that, we're at the last step in the zoning petition process with city council's consideration of the petition this evening. And I'd welcome any questions, Mayor Donker. Okay, any questions, council, for Mr. Kane? Um, access to the parcel? Are, are they looking at doing it from the north or from the south? The applicant's intent is to combine it with a larger mobile home park parcel to the south, and our understanding at this time is that it will likely remain as open space as part of the mobile home park. Thank you. We've got two questions. Uh, is there any reason why this wasn't combined with the matter we took up, the zoning we took up last meeting? Not any specific reason, no. Just the timing got different? Just the timing. And refresh my memory, if we don't approve this uh, during the two-year period, what happens to the zoning? What can they, the owner do with the property? Essentially, as I understand it, we'd be sort of in a standstill until we did apply city zoning because the township zoning would drop off at that time and there wouldn't be any applicable regulation to apply um, under which to consider a petition to do anything on the site. Any other questions for Mr. Kane? All thank right, you. Sir, thank you very much. This is a public hearing. We'll open the public hearing. Is there anyone who'd like to speak on behalf of this petition or anyone opposed? All right, seeing none, we'll close the public hearing and would you please read the resolution, Lacey? This resolution approves amending the City of Midland zoning map by rezoning a portion of property located at 3903 Letts Street from Township Zoning to Residential D Mobile Home Park. All right, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So move. Second? Second. Okay, first and second. All right, discussion. Makes sense. Yep. It's so, uh, consistent with what we have there already and what's planned for the future. Any other comments? All right then, seeing there's none, are we ready to vote? All right, oh wait. Yeah, ready to vote. Yep. <laughs> All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5 0. All right, that takes us now down to item number seven, which has to do with the police department budget. And Chief Ford is here to tell us about that. Good evening. I'm here to discuss a recent grant funding that we received from the 2020 Homeland Security Grant Program, which will allow us to purchase new mobile data computers, which are in-car computers. Our current ones are at end of life um, and literally failing as we speak. So the grant that we got was for $37,925. We are here this evening requesting a budget amendment to the general fund for 2022-2023 budget to recognize receipt of this grant funding. was feeling so confident um, so just to further clarify there's actually a, a photo of it it's actually very similar to the one that we currently have um, which saved us additional monies because of the fact we can use our current mounting system and whatnot so um, us having MDCs within the cars allows us to get timely information regarding the people that we are dealing with um, it allows communication between officers and dispatchers and then also replaces the current obsolete end of life equipment. Uh, this is a direct result, again, of Lieutenant Dan Keeler's work, uh, constantly searching for new grant opportunities to make sure that we can stay um, ahead of the technology curve without costing the city a lot of money. So 
Uh, any questions? I had one. So yes, will that cover all of our vehicles that we have, the 37.9? So um, there is currently still a little bit of debate. It will cover, um, at the bare minimum, it will cover all except for one. We're still waiting to hear a little bit on the last little bit of funding, whereas if we only had to come up with one versus 11 additional, uh, we're certainly in a way better place. So okay. we're still waiting on that. But as of now, it looks like it should cover all of them. Okay. Do these have automatic license plate readers? The, um, no, they do not. We've not ventured into that territory quite yet. Um, I think that requires sometimes a little uh, massaging to have people understand that Big Brother isn't watching all the time. So uh, we, haven't, we haven't jumped into that category yet. Any other questions? Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, this is a public hearing. I'll open the public hearing. Any comments from the public? <coughs> Any opposed? Seeing none, we'll close the public hearing and will you please read that resolution? This resolution amends the fiscal year 2022-23 Midland Police Department general fund budget to recognize additional revenue of $41,925.21 from a 2019 Homeland Security Grants Program and additional expenditures of $41,925.21 for the purchase of new in-car computer systems. Can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So, so moved. moved. Second. Okay, we had a first and second. <laughs> All right, discussion? They are well needed. Mm -hmm. uh, the, being on some of the ride-alongs and stuff like that, you kind of see the things going little by little, so this is definitely needed. Yep. The, the only question in the resolution talked about 41,000, but the chief presented 37,000, so there was a question in my mind about that 4,000. She, re she read a different number, too. No, that's what I'm saying. 40, the, the resolution read 41,000. I actually just asked about that for my own clarification. <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Keeler explained the 41,000 is our max number. So as long as we don't go over that, then we're good. So that's our cap number versus okay. the 37,000, which is what we're looking at currently for our quote. But just to clarify, the amount of the grant is 37 or 41? For, 41. Okay. So, okay. so the resolution's correct. Yes. All right. Very good. <laughs> which I was relieved to hear once I made it back there. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, any other comments? I just wanted to say thank you for the work that went into this because, you know, this is the kind of thing that does save money for all of us. So we really appreciate the work that went into that. All right, are we ready to vote? Okay, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? All right, that passes 5 0. Okay, that takes us down to our second public hearing regarding our budget. And our own Mr. Keenan. Tick, 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 tick. Yes, yes. He's here and. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. It's tough to follow the act of all the, the artwork and. <laughs> oh, well, it's my role in life. You didn't make this one? <laughs> um, so we are here uh, for a public hearing on the proposed budget. You could have done that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Show Brad. Brad. <laughs> Here's. That's pretty well made art. Yeah. Yeah, that's about that's extent of my artistic work right there. Um, 
So we are here to hold the second of two public hearings on the proposed budget for 23-24. So for the folks at home, uh, I'm going to be relatively general and try to get through this relatively, I'll say quickly, comparative to prior presentations. And as you can see, uh, this won't be the first time we've talked about this. We've had a number of discussions on it, including uh, an entire night dedicated just to the budget. Um, so again, if you're tuning in at home, don't be misled that this is, we're not taking this seriously because we have spent a lot of time on the process up till now. And this is actually the second of two public hearings. Um, the budget adoption will be, hopefully, um, two weeks from tonight on the 22nd, and it will become effective July 1st. There's still opportunities for input. Um, there's the budget adoption on the 22nd, although we would hope by then we've gotten any input that we're going to get so that we have a, a very good document for approval. Uh, that will be held, though, at 7 p.m. in council chambers. You can also email, uh, call. Um, you can stop in if you'd like. And if you'd like to be able to see the document itself, the entire document is available on our website. You can see find it at the clerk's uh, office as well as at the library. So um, we met in January of 2023 to discuss what we wanted the budget to look like for the upcoming year. At that point, council decided it was still appropriate to support the three main budgetary goals that you can see at the top there. They are ensure economic sustainability, provide an outstanding quality of life, and then provide effective stewardship of community resources. Uh, in addition to that, there were five uh, directives uh, that they, were, they gave to staff to uh, incorporate into the construction of this year's budget. And I will go over those individually, starting uh, with maintaining public services at the highest level possible. Um, again, the folks in Midland appreciate the services. Uh, they're not looking for an, a reduction in those services. So as long as we can continue to provide those and it makes economic sense, uh, that's what we try to do. We were able to do that with the budget that's being proposed. One of the directives was keep the overall millage rate the same at 15.14 mils. And so I provided a table that shows you what the current year adopted is. Um, there are several different components of that, but the bottom line is it's 15.1385, which is the same amount as the proposed budget for 23-24. A little bit more on the millage rate itself and the budget process. Don't talk about this at every meeting, um, but some things you're familiar with, uh, Headley rollback, um, a couple other things you may not be, truth in assessing, truth in taxation, and the Uniform Budgeting Act. So our budget complies with, with all of these. Um, the proposed millage rate is well below the Headley rollback cap of 17.87 mils, so there's no concern there. Uh, in terms of truth in assessing, uh, that's something that our assessing department works with the equalization on, and essentially it's a, it's a law by the state that compares the state equalized value to the local assessed value. And um, ideally you have a ratio of one to one on those, which we do. They work very hard to make sure that we do. Um, and by doing so, we don't have to do anything to our, our Headley rollback amount. Um, and quite honestly, because we're so far below that, it really doesn't come into play anyway. Uh, so truth in taxation is, is a different um, a, a separate law from the state. 
and it actually looks at the yield, the, the, the revenue that's generated by the formula of a millage rate times the value of a property. It considers that property values could go up. And so what that would have us do is for every increase in property value, it would do a, an equivalent reduction in our millage rate so that the end revenue is the same amount. And so if we were to do that to this year, that would be about 14.58 mils, which is about a half a mil below uh, what we've done for the last seven years. However, because we follow the Uniform Budgeting and Accounting Act, this really doesn't apply to us, um, and I'll show you why. So the Uniform Budgeting and Accounting Act, uh, it has certain things that we do that the state is very, they look very highly upon. For example, we pass appropriations for all of the governmental funds, and by that I mean we determine that the total expenditures in a major street fund is going to be this number. For local streets, it's going to be this number. We also identify the specific amount of mills and the particular purpose that they're going to be used for. Uh, we follow the uniform chart of accounts from the state, not only in our accounting, but also in our budgeting. And then our processes we go through in terms of public notices and holding public hearings are in compliance with the, um, with the state's Uniform Accounting and Budgeting Act. Uh, and the budget document that we put forth also includes all the information that's required. So we do all these things, um, and so that basically puts us in good standing when it comes to what the state looks at. Then our millage rate, just again as a refresher, um, this column here comes down to 15.14. You can see historically, uh, that's where we've been over the years. And then this below, this is a page right out of the budget document if anybody is tuning in from home and it provides explanations about what each of the millage rates uh, are intended to be used for. I'm gonna move on then. Uh, we also talked about using some additional funding towards unfunded retiree benefits. Uh, council was gracious enough to allow me to build a million dollars of additional paying to MERS in the budget. That's included in there. We also have additional funding for the, the Act 345 Police and Fire Pension, as well as for the retiree health care. Um, this is what each of those funds looks like in terms of uh, what their assets are, what their liabilities are, um, and what the annual required contributions of each are. These are the three defined benefit plans we have and the totals off to the side. I guess what I would, if, if you're looking at this for the first time, what I want you to know is that we're required to put in almost $13 million. We've got budgeted for over 16. So we are aggressively trying to not only comply with what we're required to put in, but we're also trying to put additional funding in to pay down our unfunded liabilities. Council's been great about supporting this year after year. Uh, we're up to just under 70% funded, uh, all the plans combined. Um, Earlier on the consent agenda, <clears throat> there was an item where I was re requesting permission for the city manager to apply for a grant. This has to do with the state um, using some of their ARPA money. They put $750,000 in the budget. Uh, we, preliminarily, it looks like we're going to apply for about $8.2 million that they would pay directly into MERS, which would help, uh, the, excuse me, the funding status of that. So. Different agenda item, but I, it is relevant, so I just wanted to share that. David, I was, I was going to add or actually a question about that because I was listening to the uh, MML, uh, their update, yep. and there was a question raised about whether the money that the state is setting aside would also be available to fund 
other more be you know, better funded pensions, which would affect our police and fire. And um, John Lamachius, you know, basically didn't rule that out. And I, right. I was surprised. But uh, does that mean that we should also be applying, using, applying this, this item that we talked about on the consent agenda, also for the police and fire? Well, that wouldn't apply for this. So this is for the 16 below. What what they're yeah, what so. they're considering is that not all of this money may not it may not be may not excuse me I'm tired may not all be spoken for, and so if there's money left over, there's a potential of using those funds together with the movement they're trying to get another two hundred fifty thousand dollars put into the, the state's budget. Two hundred fifty million. I'm sorry, two hundred fifty million. Like I said, I'm tired. It's been a long day. Um, that could be used for our police and fire pension. So that would be fair game for us. And we would certainly want to get whatever we can for that. And, and that would be for the funds. That application process that we previously just approved. I have not it's seen just, that application process yet okay. because that's. Yes. Okay. Thanks. Uh, okay, uh, increase in unrestricted general fund fund balance to seven million. It was a six and a half. It will now be at seven, and then we'll have a sizable budget stabilization reserve uh, as well. Using some of the general fund reserves and unearmarked ARPA funds uh, for some pretty significant budget challenges we had, uh, and we put a half a million dollars in for the Barstow Airport, two point five million for the Plymouth Pool repairs a million and a half for the city hall safety and efficiency upgrades, and then a quarter of a million dollars, uh, not from the ARPA, uh, but just acknowledging that we are working our way to where we think we should be in terms of the general fund tipping fees that get paid into the, um, into the landfill. And so that's something that we would hope to program another increase each of the next three years, um, and then we would just evaluate where we are compared to rate. Moving on to some of the highlights. Um, this is the budget consolidation schedule, 146.9 compared to 135.3. It's an increase of about 11 million. So I've just identified some of the things. There's a couple of decreases, mainly because they were large, um, either awards that are in the current year budget um, or construction project for Center City that's also in the current year budget. Uh, so we're not budgeting them to repeat next year. Um, the other ones are true increases, largely relating to concept five as it relates to the local street, the major street and the stormwater. Um, the general fund has a couple of different issues that we've talked about already. The Plymouth Pool, City Hall, uh, MERS, the airport, those are additional costs uh, that are greater than what's in the current year. And then uh, the, the one at the bottom, the golf course, that's simply acknowledging the fact that we, um, a year ago actually, uh, we entered into a long-term lease agreement and it took that long for the equipment to get here. We don't anticipate that we're even going to get it yet, or at least all of it, until July. But at such time, we have to acknowledge the expense on the books as well as the incoming debt obligation. So um, just attempting to hit some significant items to explain to you why there's a difference between this year and last year. Uh, this illustrates where the money is being spent uh, by fund. The purple is a general fund at 51 million. Going around the horn here, we've got this, the major street fund, all the other governmental types together. Um, then we have the water fund, the water reclamation, formerly known as the wastewater fund, and the, all the other proprietary fund types, and then internal service funds. 
So this simply distri distributes our entire budget based upon uh, those parameters. Where the money comes from, to pay for that, 27% is tax and related items. Um, other governmental types, this could be personal property tax reimbursement, it could be state shared revenue, basically funds coming from the state, federal, or other governments into our, our city, 17%. 29% is fees for service, and again, this could be somebody paying their apartment rent at Riverside Place, it could be someone playing around a golf at Curry. Um, they're paying for a service, they're paying a fee. Uh, and then the 14% is pretty much any revenue that doesn't fit into here, and then the remaining is what we pay from carryover. And so we talk about that every budget season. We had extra funding left over. Let's use that instead of raising either the millage rate or fees the subsequent year. So we use that to balance budgets. Um, speaking of fees, uh, we have the water distribution, water reclamation. And you'll notice after it took me three times to finally get this right, but <laughs> this is a star. That is a star. <laughs> this goes with that. 6% um, for the water distribution and 10% for water reclamation. We have a number of folks who are planning on uh, exiting the city over the next three years, and we try to identify that and budget for that accordingly. Um, so you can see the, the numbers and the dollars tied to that. So I mentioned ARPA funds um, a year ago. In 2022, we talked about some ways to spend some of those funds, and these have already been programmed into the budget. Uh, then we had some activity during the year that allowed us to uh, use some more of it. The Riverside Roof, uh, just under 600000 and then the funding for the landfill, uh, 412. That will also be part of this year's amended budget. Then moving forward, uh, we met in January and talked about a couple other areas. I mentioned these already, but this, there's the Plymouth Pool, the airport. Um, total committed <clears throat> and spent of $5 million, Five million, not five thousand. Five million, one hundred eleven thousand out of the five point four million available. We've got about two hundred sixty-five thousand left um, to be programmed. Concept five, just kind of an update to council. Uh, these are the numbers that are basically included in either the budget or the outlying years to be projected, and it's based upon actual contracts that have been awarded. Um, design costs, engineering costs, and then the footing drain disconnect program at 5.4 million. So we're about 52 million. Um, I, not, I don't believe that this is entirely inclusive of all of the force account <coughs> internal labor, like the folks that work for the city that might actually work on some of this stuff. They will also charge their time there. So there's a chance when we go through this process um, next year, we'll have to revise some of these totals to account for that. Moving on to the general fund uh, revenue, 51.9 million. Uh, you can see the distribution uh, as no surprise here, 61% of the revenue coming in is from property taxes and related. We've got license and permits at about 2%, intergovernmental at 14 million, uh, personal property tax reimbursement, state shared revenue, things of that nature would be there. Charges for services at 6%. Use and admission fees, 1%, and then everything else is about 3%. So how this stacks up, uh, the current year we adopted a budget of just under 50 million compared to the proposed of just under 52 million. 
48.9. I think I got that wrong. 48 million. I'm not sure what I said. For some reason, I thought I said 50, but should have been under 48 million compared to just the 52. So a $4 million increase. And um, so the property taxes, uh, we had a, a net increase in the net taxable value to generate additional revenue. We've got license and permits. A number of the departments had gone through and updated their fees. First time that had been done in a, a very long time. Um, so that's generating additional revenue. This state shared revenue increase is 650 over what we had budgeted a year ago. And the money for the ARPA, the, the, the pool, uh, $2.3 that makes up the large portion of uh, increase from one year to the next. This small increase largely relates to the administrative allocation, which is simply the general government costs that get charged out to some of the other departments that they support. The Plymouth pool, we're looking at use and, use and admission fees now, an increase of $126,000. Uh, we've got additional Plymouth pool proceeds. Uh, we've got additional softball proceeds. And then I mentioned this before, there's this very popular um, outing every year to Mackinac Island. So there's expense and revenue. So these are actually offset. The program pays for itself, but it does, it does show up as a pretty large increase. Um, investment earnings. These aren't where I'd love them to be, but they're a lot better than they used to be, so we'll, we'll go with it, we'll take it. Um, it is a, a big increase from a year ago, quite honestly, and so we're at least, while most people who look at the market aren't thrilled right now, the investments that we use are performing better, so we'll take it. Uh, we've got a reduction in our other revenue, and it's kind of a, a Large offset from contributions. We had two big projects last year uh, that we received grants for. Um, not this year, but then there's some increases to offset it, engineering deposits, uh, fuel sales, and election reimbursements. Transfers in is a reduction. We don't have a sidewalk program in 23-24, so that's a lesser amount. So about an 8.3% increase total revenue general fund. Looking at expenditures, um, this breaks out the entire expenditures for the general fund by type, meaning personal services, contingencies, transfers, other charges, etc. So you can see the wide distribution, but at the end of the day, almost 60% of the costs fall under personal services, labor. Uh, we are a service organization, so it makes sense that we have a significant part of our budget uh, in that expense type. I take, oh, the mayor's making notes here. I'm just writing down the number so I'll have it in the future. Okay. Without well, having to call If you, you need guys. it later, let me know. Okay. All right. Thanks. Um, I'm going to move on to the same number, but we're going to spread that around by function. Um, so the green is public safety. That is the largest function um, in the general fund, almost 39% at $22.1 million. General government going back, going around this way is about 15% at $8.5 million. We've got transfers out, and these are funds that leave the general fund to basically support operations outside of the general fund. Reserve for contingencies at 400,000, capital projects at a very small number in relation to the entire budget. Other functions, um, which is $3.2 million. Parks and Recreation, up to 10 million now, 17% of the budget. Sanitation, 5.2 or 5.3 at 9% and then public services at 
Uh, just a general note on most of the expenditures. Um, the total amount is very similar for MERS, and I'm not including the additional amount we're paying towards the unfunded liability. I'm, I'm talking about the, the, really the arc that we distribute. It's very similar to last year. You might see differences from one department to the other because we did have some staffing changes. We had some additions that will increase certain departments, and because MERS costs are largely allocated because of the unfunded liability portion, uh, that, that could have an impact on some of the different departments. Similar on OPEB, which is a retired health care. Um, Blue Cross Blue Shield increase was about 10%. Um, we didn't increase anything for last year. In hindsight, we probably should have because there was an increase. Um, but we're kind of playing catch up. Their uh, wages average across the board is about 3%. Um, this is just a general comment as people retire out of the defined benefit plan and they're replaced by folks who are in the DC plan defined contribution. Those costs will go up due to the turnover. However, those costs, those plans are much less expensive than the defined benefit plan and the costs are more controllable and predictable. Um, we budget conservatively, so if you were to go through the line item budget and look at it, you might expect some bigger increases in certain areas because we know fuel costs are high. You might not actually see that because we're basing it upon our actual, not basing it upon the budget. And since we tend to budget relatively conservative, uh, we can get away with perhaps a smaller increase budget to budget when we're looking at the actual. Um, so general fund expenditures, uh, I'm not gonna go through every department detail, detail, detail. I've tried to summarize them all. Uh, so in the general government side, we've got a million three change, it's 18%. The big thing you're looking at in there is the city hall renovation. That is a big ticket item. Um, we've got a couple of more senior administrators that are going to be retiring. And so there's, won't mention any names, um, but there's some separation pay as well as some training and, and uh, overlap to go along with that. Um, also an election year. So an increase that goes along with that. Uh, public safety, $22.1 million for these departments that you see there. And it's largely, um, today we had three new officers sworn in. We have a fairly young staff who are working their way up. And not only when they do that, they promote up through their steps. And so that does cause an additional increase in the compensation because they're not only getting whatever the, the union economic inflation movement is, but they're also promoting up within the steps. So that causes that to be a little bit higher. Um, we've got some training in there. We've got in fire, uh, fuel and equipment rent increases. You're aware that they're getting three new trucks. And so they're gonna be more expensive than what they were replacing. So we'll be saving for them at a higher, higher rate. Um, building and planning is an increase of 185, which is a 10% increase. We've got folks in the building department who are also near retirement, and so we're saving for that separation. And then there's some professional services we're contracting for for a zoning update in the planning department. Public works, it's a $545,000 increase. I'm gonna point to public works equipment rental, an increase of $343,000. Um, part of that is uh, catch-up and part of it, meaning um, we go to buy a piece of equipment and the costs come in higher than what we had and so the departments have to come up with some additional funds to get the pieces of equipment. And part of it is simply the fact 
much like the fire trucks, when we replace any piece of equipment, it's more expensive than what we had. So we try to be in a position where we have enough money to replace it, which means putting in more money because you're replacing a more expensive piece of equipment. So a lot of increases in equipment rent. Um, we've got some engineering services and engineering department we're contracting for. Uh, sidewalk maintenance is largely contracted, but we're spending more money on the clearing and the repair work uh, for sidewalk maintenance. And then traffic services, again, we've got some separation pay, some equipment rental, and then an increase in capital. Sanitation, 5.3 million. Uh, this is the department that the quarter of a million dollar additional payment from the landfill would hit. So that's a big part of that. If you pull that out, we're looking at about a 7% increase. We've got a, a recycling contract that has a big increase. Uh, equipment rental again, uh, is $150,000 increase. Labor, just under 90, and then gas and oil at about 50,000. Parks and recreation, $2.6 million increase. 2.3 of it is deployment pool. Um, it's not the only increase, but it's certainly the biggest one in there. Um, other, so this is where we have the airport. Uh, we've got fuel costs. We also have the, the expense to go along with the $500,000 of ARPA funds that we put to the airport to help pay for the, the maintenance and the infrastructure needs that they have in order that we can continue to be a licensed regulated airport. So that's included in there as well. Then of course the additional half a million dollars a million total, but an increase of a half a million, uh, what we're giving to MERS is included in there. We don't have a sidewalk program, so we've got a reduction in capital projects in the general fund. There's a lot going on here. Um, the main thing, the two big things that add up to that is for the water reclamation fund, um, this year there's a million dollar transfer that just goes in to help support the operations. Next year, we stopped doing that and we decided to pay for debt service instead. And so there's a swing of about 866,000 there. And on the debt service side, uh, we actually paid off a bond issue. We paid off the judgment bond. And so there's a half million and a half dollars less um, that will be basically distributed to the debt service fund. So those two guys combined make, largely make up that entire amount. I will say it's a much smaller amount, but we are going to try to be diligent in phasing out the subsidy that's going to the golf course. Um, they seem to be doing well, and so it only seems appropriate that we head back down that path again. So we've incorporated a $50,000 increase. Um, and if you look at the outlying years, that pattern was continued uh, for the projected years as well. Other funds, uh, street funds, we're spending over $20 million. Uh, this is about almost 30% of the city's capital budget. Concept five, largely related. We still have the major street, local street, regular programs included in here, but on top of that, there's a whole lot of spending related to concept five. And I just share this with you. Um, by the end of the projected year, we'd anticipate to still have almost $2.5 million of major street fund balance and over a million of local street. That's after putting $13.2 million of Concept 5 projects um, throughout the course of not only this year, but the remainder of those years. 
And just to clarify, there is a million, $5 million listed in there for the US-10 um, cost share for the amenities. And that was in the 24-25 plan from the CIP. So you all will have lots of cracks at that <laughs> before it becomes committed. Um, but that 13-2 is part of the overall 52 that you listed before. Or is this in addition to? 52. 52 oh, yes, million yes, for yes, concept? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, it is. Okay. And the thing about that is, is we're, we're not borrowing for that. Mm -hmm. And so if we use our own money, we borrow less. That means for the next 20 years, our debt service amounts would be less. Okay. So, yes. That was a question I was coming, because I think we bonded 50 million? 48. 48. So we're at 52. So... That's like four million we're gonna to have to come up with. Well, actually, I don't think I have that slide on here. I think I took it off. The 48 was just the portion we were gonna bond. Mm -hmm. On top of that, we were gonna pay for a portion of the water fund by itself and all of the street funds by itself. Mm -hmm. So we are up into the 50s, well into the 50s. Okay. The original plan. I think right now our total construction cost, if we borrow um, what it looks like we're gonna to need to borrow, it's gonna be well below the 48 million. Okay. Good. Because so, yeah. I was going to say, I have to offset something. Um, stormwater, $6.8 million. Again, largely driven by, we're spending 4.7 on Concept 5 in 23-24. And this is an area where they sort of front-loaded maybe more than one year's worth of work because they didn't want to be in a position to stop work because we maxed out on the budget. And so rather than spread it over two, we put the majority of it in one year um, and whatever's not spent will just encumber into the next year. Dialeride, becoming more and more popular again. Um, it took a bit of a hit with COVID, but um, the riders have come back and we're not quite back to 100% of where we were before, but we're, we're getting really close. Um, $2.8 million is the budget for Dialeride. The DDA, $1.0 million, um, lots of activity going on. The biggest capital item is the downtown restroom project at a half a million dollars. Spending capital of 619,000. Landfill, um, in addition to dealing with the trash, as you can see, they also have the, the gas to energy operation. Um, total budget, 8.2 million. A big item in there is the cell 17 development of 2.7 million. Water reclamation, 22.4 million. This year is our largest enterprise fund. Typically that's the water fund, but because of all the concept five work, capital work, um, it's pushed that ahead. I've got a note here, I've got 12.8 million of concept five projects in the 23, 24 year alone. Um, there are two debt instruments that uh, we, we just discussed. The, the financing is a 1.875 um, interest will only be on the amount that you borrow. So if we don't borrow the whole 48, we're only gonna pay less interest. You only pay back what you borrow. And we don't expect any debt principal payments until 26, 27, um, but we will start paying interest next year. Uh, the water fund, 15.6 million, usually our largest, um, still a, a huge budget, um, but not quite as big as the water reclamation this year, but 15.6 million. And looking at the rates, again, I took the liberty of using these wonderful colors that 
nobody can see. Um, but the top line is 2024, water 6%, water reclamation 10%, which is the same as it was the year before. Uh, the department did the math for me and they tell me that for a one inch meter, a typical one ho household with a one inch meter, these two increases will generate about $33.45 in billing, additional billing per quarter per year. So um, this is the second public hearing. We had a big advertisement in the paper on Saturday. I don't know if you saw it. It took up a whole page, cost 3300 bucks. Not that that's important, but to me it is. <laughs> it's a lot of money. It is. Um, so it's been out there. It's been pretty well publicized. What's left tonight is a public hearing. Um, discussion amongst you all. Mayor, if you have any questions for me, I'd be happy to try to answer them. All right. Does anyone in council have any questions for Mr. Keenan? I asked mine. I was only that $500,000 restaurant. You'll get your shot at it. I'm going to make sure. <laughs> Not been approved. It's just, okay. it's in the budget. It's in the budget. Okay. That's right. Okay. All right. I guess we have no questions. So this is a public hearing. Open the public hearing. Any comments as it relates to the budget? Yeah. Uh, John Elson, 6106, Sturgeon Creek Parkway, Midland, Michigan. Um, I think Dave does a fantastic job on that. I mean, I've done... Uh, working in the oil business, I've done $100 million AFEs, which is basically kind of what this is. And then you've got partners that have to approve it, and then you, by the time you finish it, you've got to be within 3% of the AFE, or you have to go back and tell your partners why you need more money, or they don't really tell you that. You've, they don't really tell you that you did a good job if you spend less, but, but if you spend more, you've got to go for supplementals. So I think Dave does a real good job at that. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with line items, and he's let, he mentioned a lot of line items, but I know there's, when you do an AFE, there's a lot of line items too. And I think words are really important. <clears throat> so, concept five gets keep you, I keep hearing it's related to storm sewer. To me, concept five has nothing to do with storm water. It all has to do with sanitary water. Most of everything in there is about the sanitary system, and because of that, if if, the, if it's supposed to be lumped in together as sanitary and storm, well, I think it should be separated because they have two different things completely. I mean, a wastewater treatment plant has something to do with sanitary, nothing to do with storm. So I think concept five, to me, is storm. And I think it should be listed as that and broken out as that. And then another thing I don't really know, I kind of listened to the whole thing, but I don't really know how much money the city of Midland spent due to flood damage from 2017 and 2020. I don't really know the the act the numbers that we actually spent from the general fund. I think would be coming from, uh, and and also because I think we're some uh, we do have have some insurance policies for some of our damages. Has our has our rates gone up for those insurance? Because most insurance companies are base their rates on, you know, how much they, how the, how the risk analysis goes and how much they think they got to spend. And if we have, we've had two major flooding events when, in six years, I just wonder if the insurance companies that we're using have not increased our rates to reflect this new paradigm in which we're in right now of having floods more frequently and more costly. 
Okay, that's about it for that. So good job, Dave. Good job with your team. I understand how it goes, and yeah, I think uh, it's, it's, it's boring, sounds boring, but there's a lot of detail in there, and if you don't do it right, yeah, people give you a lot of grief, so good job. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, any other public comments? Okay, then we'll close the public hearing. So we are back discussing this. We vote on this on May 22nd. That's correct. Okay. There'll be a lot of conversation about the millage rates and um, there's things that are in the resolution that are necessary that I don't really talk about until we get to that point, but that'll all happen on the 22nd. Okay. Correct. Okay. So when we have some, I see that you were writing down, so we had some questions and we'll just incorporate that. Okay. Okay. Very good. All right. I think that's First. it. That's did you I want just, to say? I know what's next. That's the only reason I'm here. Oh, <laughs> okay. You're ahead of me then. Oh. <laughs> All right. So now that takes us down to another public hearing, and it has to do to, to uh, amend the budget, uh, the general fund forestry budget. Mr. Keenan, you're ahead I'm of back. me. So on February 13th, just a couple months ago, council amended the budget for 22-23 to accept $20,000 for a grant and recognize expenses. So if it seems like you've done this once already, it's because you have. Um, both the revenue expenses were increased by 20,000 in the general fund budget. However, it's always a fund balancing act, trying to keep track of what goes on in the current year budget when you allow people to do amendments and transfers, but you really can't not because they have to operate. So generally we catch all these, um, but this one, Half of this slipped by us. And by what I mean is the revenue ended up in the budget, the expenses did not. And so I caught that, but I caught it too late in the process. So I'm here to request uh, that you will amend the budget so that you can put the $20,000 expenses back in the forestry department so that they can purchase new trees with the grant money that they receive from the DNR. That's really what tonight is about. So the resolution before you would actually allow that to happen. All right, does anyone have any questions for Mr. Keenan? Okay. All right, it's the public hearing. We'll open the public hearing. Any comments on this? See none, we'll close the public hearing and will you please read the resolution? Lacey. This resolution amends the 2022-23 General Fund Forestry Department budget by increasing expenditures by $20,000 to restore spending authorization for the Michigan Department of Natural Resources Urban Forestry Grant that was received in February of 2023, but inadvertently removed during the 2023-24 budget process. Okay, we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. Okay, first and second. Any discussion on this? Basically, you just need some elbow room. Pick and tie question. Yeah. Okay. Seeing no other comments, are you ready to vote? All right. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay. That passes 5 0. Thank you very much, sir. Sir. We're going to miss you. <laughs> okay. That takes us down to public comments. Um, this is an opportunity for people to make comment on issues relevant to council business, but not on the agenda. Is there any public comment this evening? 
Uh, John Elson, 6106 Sturgeon Creek Parkway. Um, I want to talk today. I mean, we've had, since I've lived in Midland, I know we had Dutch elm disease. We've had ash borer, mm -hmm. and we see the hundreds and thousands of trees that have died. And I just wanted to bring it out now because it's something that we need to think about, and we need to probably have an ordinance put in place for it. And the reason why I say this is there's another disease coming, and it's going to be oak wilt. It affects red oak trees. It's in Michigan. It's spreading. It's not in Midland County yet, but it will be someday because disease just happen, happen to eventually migrate into this area. So we know what the damage is from all these. Just, just look at, we're still dealing with the ash borer. I, I don't know of, of any cure for it. There is no cure. Right now, all there is is uh, you've got to not chop down anything on a red oak tree from March 15th to basically December. Anytime the leaves are on the trees, it is susceptible because it's an insect that carries the fungus from one tree to the, to the next. And I, I have 22 oak trees in my yard that are probably 50, 60 feet high. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. These trees die pretty quick, but that's just me. I mean, there's thousands of these trees around the whole city. So I, I just think what we can do right now is to make an ordinance saying you cannot do any pruning on a red oak tree or any oak tree from <clears throat> March 15th till December while the, or when the leaves are on the trees. And if you have to do it, that has to be, have to have a permit to do it. So that if you do have to trim it, that you can maybe seal the wound so maybe the, because what happens is the insect goes for the sap. And once it gets on the sap, so you got to stop the sap. You got to do what you can to do that. It may, it may not hold this thing back forever, but the bad, this is the, even more notorious than that is, once one tree gets it, okay, let's say the insect affects one tree, it spreads actually through the roots to other ones. So any time there's a root that's connected to another root of another oak tree, they get it too, without any insects. So I'm just thinking ahead. I mean, I'm just, it's just going to be cost. It's going to cost the city tons of money. It's going to cost residents a ton of money if you're talking about chopping down lots of oak trees on top of all the ash trees that have already taken place for the last, whatever, 20 years or so it's been in effect. Oh, those 22 trees, do you got a lot of leaves on them in January? No. You can chop you, that. Those are all fair. Well, yeah, that's where they, the... They love to stick on there's no There's no <laughs> insects and there's no sap, okay? So that's the key, right? So you might have a few. You actually had some on maple trees this year, too, but they're not. They're dead, you know? They're not, they're not going to uh, emit any sap. And the, another thing I want to talk about was that actually more controversial than this, because that's more of a public service, I think, is, is this uh, Ashman rod thing, okay? There was a, a, one of my best friends has a business on Dartmouth, lives on Helen Street, not far from Ashman Street. He was given a letter by the city, or I think the downtown development or whatever they call themselves, to go to this meeting at the, at the law enforcement center. So being one of the, having a business and having a residence, he was able to go to that. So he went to it. And he was going to keep an open mind, better than me. But I know I know him, and he's 
as opinionated as I am, but he was going to keep an open mind. He wanted to know, and he asked one of the, one of the ladies that was running the show about that, what good is this going to do for the city? And they couldn't give him a good enough answer. As soon as he started asking questions, they, took to, they turned away and wouldn't listen to him. So he ended up talking to the engineer about the whole thing. But the two people that were really in charge of this couldn't answer that question. He was very upset, you know, and he should be. So, and I, when I went there, I did the same thing. I maybe wasn't quite as open-minded as he would have been, but I went there, said my two, two cents worth, and talked to the, the engineer about that and some other things. And uh, I think when I was there, there were majority, 75% at least, were upset. There was one lady who was screaming mad coming out of that place. Now, one of the things that affected my friend, and it also affected me, this is was sold as, as they want to know information. How do you feel about this? Do you think this is a good idea? They were looking for suggestions. It wasn't that way at all. What it was was a sales job. They were trying to sell this to all the people that don't like it. It wasn't. They were listening to anybody. In fact, that same um, person that worked for the downtown development group did the same thing to me. As soon as you say something that she didn't agree with, she just walked, turned around and walked. That is not listening. That is walking. And it wasn't just her, both there were two of them like that there. And I think it's pitiful that it reminds me of, uh, yeah, he priest. Uh, it's pitiful that we, that we make, we masquerade these things out as to be listening when all they are is just talk. And I think it's just, it's just terrible that we, that we even do this kind of stuff if it's not for real. I mean, this just reminds me of the streetscape. A lot of the same thing. I still bet 10 to 1 that that never would have got passed if it was a vote. And this would never get passed either. It's just a waste of money. Now, that's the other thing that was the thing. Three and a half million dollars you want to spend on this. Well, look, where could I spend three and a half million dollars in Midland right now? I don't know. Dave put out a bunch of things right there. Well, we got the, we can do, we can clean out Sterling Creek. We could clean out Inman Drain. We can clean out Snake Creek. We could make it so we actually prevent damages to the city. You know, we could actually save people money. Instead, we're doing something that's completely um, not worth hardly anything. I look at it this way. You've got Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You've got needs, and it goes up the scale. This is not. This is, Ashman and Rod is not high on that list. We have streets that need repair. We have damage for overland flooding that needs to be addressed. And here we're spending three and a half million dollars on that. We spent two million dollars, I think I saw on the budget there, for the streetscape. For what? For, for eight foot sidewalks? I mean, it's just a waste of money. That's my opinion again, but I think it's a waste and I think most people think it's a waste of money. And then we've done other things too. I don't want to go into all the different things, but to me, we need to start thinking about how to spend money where on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs scale not what we think is a good thing to do just because it's pretty. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Any other public comment? Okay. That takes us down now to, man, I've got scribbles all over here. 
Um, item number 10, which is the second reading of the garbage and um, refuse litter <coughs> ordinance. Karen Murphy is here to tell us about that. All right, thank you, Mayor Donker. Um, so I am here to do the second reading and consideration of the um, updates to the garbage, refuse, and litter ordinance. Uh, chapter 10, section 10-5 allows the city manager with council approval to establish rules. Those rules were quite outdated and in mid-March, those rules were brought before council and uh, they were revised for the first time since 1993. The majority of the revisions were to bring the rules uh, to a place where they met current practices and then also to update some fees that um, had not been updated since 1993. So council approved those revised rules on March 13th and implementation of the rules requires an update to the ordinance. So that first reading occurred on April 24th. And then I'm back again with um, the second reading. So the changes that are being proposed in the ordinance start with section 10-2 of article one. Uh, we will be amending the list of acceptable items for bulky item collection to remove asphalt, concrete, and other masonry rubble as well as loose soil from the list. These items have not been collected for at least the last five years. Um, the reason that we uh, stopped collecting these is because we were getting a lot of complaints about messes at the curb with loose soil. Um, it's difficult to clean that up effectively without making messes in the street. And then we were having damage to our equipment as well from uh, large pieces of concrete and rubble um, and just for the protection of both of our equipment and our employees. Just for clarification, Karen, so we haven't been doing this for the last five years? We've not. Okay, so what if someone put that out in the last five years? What happened? Um, if it was like a, if it were smaller, like pieces of concrete, we typically took it. If it was something large, we would send a letter and let them know that um, that's not acceptable curbside. Okay. So let me just explore that a little bit more. Is is the change that you're talking about? Is that basically removing those words from the the definition of bulky or heavy items? Correct. They've been struck from the ordinance. Well, okay. I've got a question about that if it's where I think it is because it says these wastes include but are not limited to and it talks about appliances, furniture, mattresses. These are all listing examples of bulky items. If that's the section we're talking about. Correct. The, the problem is, is by removing it from there, you don't really exclude it because it's including but not limited to. That means you can still have other items that are on that list. So if you're trying to effectively preclude those items you're not, in my opinion, not doing that. Um, the, other, the other part of this one is, uh, walk me through again, because I do think, again, that this is, the guys who pick up the trash and bulk, they, they do a fantastic job, and everybody truly appreciates them. And I, ha I do think they have been picking up, in most cases, some of these items. But now we're saying, I guess I want to make sure I understand what we're saying about concrete and masonry items. You can't put it in your regular trash. Right. You cannot put it in your big pickup items day. You cannot put them in your around a dumpster day, right? So if you've got these items, what do you do? You can take those items to the landfill. So each resident in the Midland County is allowed up to three cubic yards per month at no cost to the landfill, at the landfill. So these materials are accepted at the landfill. Okay, so, so the landfill's willing to take them. The reason we're not allowing the pickup is because of? Because as I mentioned here, <coughs> it can be damaging to our equipment, um, difficult to clean up, to, and so to keep the operation efficient so we can get through 
our area each week. Um, we need to, we have made these changes probably say four or five years ago. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, yeah. I've seen the guys go down my street, you know, they come in with big scoops and it's, it's hard for me to see how that damages equipment. I mean, I, I trust you on, on that judgment, but if I have to explain it to neighbors, that's, I need to understand how it damages it and what they're supposed to do. Um, so anyway, I wanted to just point out that I think eliminating from the definition doesn't really accomplish what you're trying to do. Um, and then just trying to understand again what people should do if they've got these items. So I'll let you continue. Sorry, okay. but I, I wanted yeah. to stop on that point for a second. Yep. And, and in the refuse rules, they are specifically excluded. So, so the rules are referenced in this ordinance and the rules that council approved on March 13th it specifically lists that are bulky or heavy items, items not collected, and that includes loose soil, sod, asphalt, or concrete. So even though the ordinance may be vague on um, giving examples of what bulky items are, the rules themselves are very specific. Yeah, I mean, maybe we should have nitpicked a little bit more on, on the approval of the rules, but hard to do that. And that's, I don't think this is really the forum to go through a line-by-line -line basis on some of that right. stuff. But uh, I do think if, if you want to make it clear you probably have to be more specific about the masonry in these in the definition or you know, included but not limited to somehow make it more clear. Anyway, let me right. let you keep going. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry that I stopped. I'll hold anything else till the end. Thank you. Oh no, that's okay. You can feel free to <coughs> to jump in. That's fine. Um, so the next sections that were changed are being proposed for change are uh, 10-42, 43, and 45. And what we are proposing here is to amend uh, to update the minimum expenses charged for abatement of refuse yard waste, bulky items, or brush set out improperly. Um, the rates that are currently in the ordinance um, do not cover the cost to the city to go back and, and collect items once they've been corrected. Um, right now, it's only $10 for refuse or yard waste. We're proposing $50 as the minimum fee. Right now, it's a minimum fee of 50 for bulky item and brush, and we're proposing 150 uh, as the rates since 1993. Obviously, um, equipment costs and labor costs have gone up. And then there is a new fee being added. Uh, there's a volume limit now for heavy item collection of 10 cubic yards a month, which is a very sizable uh, pile of materials. And that would anything beyond that would be $250 for each additional 10 cubic yards. And again, this is aimed at the city covering their cost for that extra collection. Again, in these same sections, we've added language to define and clarify improperly placed refuse and yard waste. It, it means whether it's placed out too early or if it's placed out incorrectly. And then adding language that subjects violators to a municipal civil infraction um, in addition to charges for abatement. And this is in line with the city's ordinance for abatement of tall weeds and grass. And the goal here is to discourage repeat offenders. And then article, or I'm sorry, section 10-44 to amend um, the method of posting a notice on the violation to reflect our current practice. The ordinance says that we place a tag on a front door. We haven't done that in several years. We've instead placed the tag directly on the material in violation because it seems to be a more effective way to get people's attention. A lot of people don't utilize their front doors and the tags have hung on there unnoticed before. So now we put a bright orange violation tag either right on the brush pile, right on the bulky item, right on the refuse can and it seems to be much more effective. 
And then adding a new section to outline the penalty for the municipal infraction. Again, the language is identical to what you'll find in the tall weed and grass ordinance. So the resolution is here for second reading and adoption. The updates would go into effect at the same time as the new rules and regulations for disposal of refuse, which would be July 1st, to give us time to update our publications and our websites, get a little information out on social media so residents are aware that, you know, here's the rules. Um, these rules will also be made available on the city's website, which to date they have not been available. So that will be a really helpful tool for us to point people to. Are you sending out any little flyers? Because there are people that won't see any of that. Right. Um, we weren't planning on sending out flyers. The, okay. the cost to do that's pretty steep okay. to get flyers into everybody's hands. And we haven't always seen the effectiveness of that either. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do our best. Okay. Um, but I think probably more important than even the residents is any of the contractors. I'm talking about you know guys who might take down trees or people who might do substantial uh, renovations. And, I, and I, I can think of an example where you know somebody could cut down the you know, say you've got a tree that's diseased and you need to have it taken down, someone will just move your stuff out to your front curb and they'll move it out there whenever they do the job. And that could correspond to your big pickup, it could not. In the past, most all that would have been picked up by the, in the heavy pickup, day, heavy pickup days. Um, it sounds like now it won't. But now I'm a homeowner, I got, you've got me, give me 48 hours to get, get it removed. Um, what the heck do I do? I thought it was still picked up up to 10 yards, up right? To 10 yards, and correct. And then mm -hmm. over 10 yards is two. You got to pay it. Correct. 10 yards is not very big, right? It's, it's, it's like two, two four foot by four foot by eight foot long piles of brush. Is it two? How many trucks is it? it our tandem truck is, is about 10 yards. So one truck. It's a big tandem dump truck. It's a lot. That, that's not, if, if a tree comes down, that's not that much. Right. Um, and, but the point being is you could be over the limit or you could be outside the date, the, the time limits that we've got now. Because right now, bulky pickup, the way the ordinance rules read, is that it's the Saturday before the week of your heavy pickup. So they cut it down the week before. Okay, then it's a problem. It wasn't a problem before, but now we're making it kind of a problem. And then, and then it comes, turns out it's, it's too much stuff. So you get a tag that says you got 48 hours to move it. You know. Little old later, little old man, I'll speak for myself, you know, I'm going, how the heck am I going to move all this stuff? My alternative is to, is to do what? You know, uh, leave it dropped in the middle of your yard. I know some of the things here is just people like to use common sense and, and we're kind of used to taking advantage. I mean, I, uh, we're, we're going to say we're used to taking advantage of the rules. Is that what you were just going to say? We're used to taking advantage of the big pickup. Yeah, we are. So right. I think and so, now. And so, but if people use it. <laughs> I'm worried about the consequences of, of imposing the rules on people that are going that people think would be unreasonable. Because they took advantage of it. Yeah. Well, they took advantage of it. That's what it's there for. To take advantage of it, or to take yes. I mean, to take advantage of it in a way that they well made the rules what they the, wanted. It, it, the, the situation, and this is this is also a question, I, and, and I'm trying to, to recall how it was worded, but if you have a first instance where this happens, or if it's a repeated violation, right? So if, if you have a, again, I use the example of, of a tree coming down, that's probably not going to happen, you know, once every, you know, five or ten years or something, right? It's not going to happen that often. Should that person be penalized because they moved the stuff out to the front? Or the contractor, this gets back where the conversation started, which is the contractor says, oh, I can just set it out front because it gets picked up, which has been true. 
right? And so now the contractor, you can try and get a contractor back in 48 hours. Good luck with that. So I'm a homeowner. I've got to get my contractor back. I've got 48 hours, and now I'm getting fined. I'm in, I'm in a mess, right? So what I'm, what I'm suggesting here is, in that situation, putting a penalty on the homeowner is probably not the most effective way to do it, and probably providing notice to the contractors is probably a more effective way to, to have it happen. And the same sort of thing happens when you're doing renovations, right? If you have remodeling going on, you're tearing out stuff, you know, maybe kitchen remodel, bathroom remodel. You've seen all sorts of things out at the front. Um, you know, if it's, if, it's, if it's a resident, you need to have probably a warning the first time and have a little more flexibility, especially if it's close to the, to the big pickup week. But if it's, if it's a contract, same contractors that is involved, that message needs to be driven home. Again, going back to my original point, that's where the communication needs. And I don't know if we have a good list of people, but if we're going to do something like this, um, give the residents a, you know, a break and, and, and send the message to the contractors, because then they'll, they'll work it into their contract. They'll say, I can't set stuff out up front anymore. I got to either get a dumpster or I got to have a trailer, and then I got to pay an extra tipping fee at the, which we're going to talk about, um, at the, um, the landfill. So I'm. We've been doing this enforcement part that you're talking about for years, literally for years. The contractors that come in and get their permits understand what can be put out and what can't. I mean, we've worked with them. So when you talk about communication, that is done on a regular basis. When we work with homeowners and residents and, and reputable tree trimmers, they also know most of them are chipped and removed. There's very few that are put out in the road anymore. The, the people that we've had difficulty with that are either unlicensed or come in will charge homeowners for removal but put it out for the road for us to remove, which has been taken care of over, the, over a number of years. Those people have generally gone away. So we've worked with it. If there's a major storm and emergency, then it's all taken to the side. We work with Karen's office regularly. If there's a, a pickup or an issue or a house or a disaster, that, that's all different than what, what we're dealing with now. The, the issue that I want to make sure I was clear on to council is that the cement or the heavy items issue, yes, it can do damage to the vehicles and trucks, but where we hear from it is the damage to the outlaws, is that when you can pick, take a claw and pick up and scoop up the items that are there that you can grab the brush and move it, you're not even touching the ground. But however, with the cement and all of the other heavy items, you remove the soil, and then we get into the trouble. Well, you've removed it, that's great, we appreciate it, but now come back and reseed it, put the topsoil on, or you touched our sprinkler, or you scratched the curb. We hear those things often, which a lot of this stuff gets eliminated from. And again, it's the little things that, that are there to, to help the residents, but most know, and we don't have that many enforcement activities uh, regarding uh, the removal. We do have move-out days that we deal with, with, with landlords and things. But those are all worked on the side of this. So actually, it's, it's kind of a reverse. We're catching up, or our Karen's team is catching up to what we've been doing. It's not something that's really new. It's not, wow, this is going to happen, or the, the citizens don't know we're going to do it. We've been doing this uh, standard for years. Also, we don't just see a pile of, of items and write a citation. We give the opportunity to clean it up. We work with the landowner if it's a situation where there is an emergency or a problem or a storm, we work with them. It's the repeat offenders that we utilize bringing th items in from out county or cutting trees or taking brush from other properties. That, that we deal with regularly as well. 
And part of the, we've, we've made some very small changes to the rules. Uh, for example, instead of a 72-hour window, a 48-hour window. And we've done this because as much as the residents who are getting rid of the materials want to have flexibility, the neighbors don't want to see materials out um, in excessive number of days. And so what we were running into is we give, if we gave people a 72-hour notice, we would have to give it to them on the Tuesday before their collection week so that we can enforce it by check it again on Thursday, pick it up on Friday. So people were starting to set things out instead of waiting till Saturday. They figured out they could set them out on Monday and there was nothing we could do to enforce that because that 72 hour window was so long. Um, and so we, you know, pe and people get upset when they have neighbors who do this all the time. And the way our ordinance was written, it, it gave so much time that by the time we tagged it, went back, checked it, verified it was still there, scheduled it for collection, it was already into the weekend and their collection started the following week. So some of these tweaks in the rules are to make um, honest residents happy that we can enforce the rules and keep the program um, sustainable. Seems to me I, I trust the discretion of the of you guys. You know, you find the people who put out 300 televisions, not the guy, the 84-year-old woman that cut down a tree that didn't have a reputable tree service and you know whatever. And, and we are very flexible as Jim mentioned we go above and beyond to help in any situation where we can um, yeah I, I understand yeah. and that's kind of in the practice and that's mm -hmm. that's when you know the mayor took me to task on my choice of words but they, they've been great you know the, the, the trash guys have been great and I think they have been fairly flexible and you know the other one of the pieces that kind of bugged me is there really must be in a bag and kind of it was fortuitous my last week of trash pickup there was trash that blown off from somebody else's trash can that wasn't in a bag apparently. But it seems a little bit absurd at times too to have you know, literally everything, you know, there, there, is a, there is some common sense again about when, what things go in a bag. You know, it's really things that were like probably what I experienced, which is stuff that blows out and, and makes, you know, it, it doesn't basically make it into the truck that we want into a bag so it ensures that it goes in where it's supposed to. Um, so it's the, it's the stuff that flies away that needs to be in a bag and not sort of the bigger items, if you would, that are on their own. Well, and if I can the, interject quickly, nothing yeah. ruins a refuse collector's day faster than somebody that dumps a bagless vacuum into their big trash can yeah. with no bag. So common sense sounds like a great tool to get us where we need to be until we run into situations like that. And we wouldn't be in adding a rule to, to bag trash if it wasn't a consistent concern and a, and a hazard to our collectors. So again, it's, it's messiness of things blowing around the neighborhood, but it's also the safety of our employees and making sure that they're not getting a you know, face full of dust and yeah. not knowing what it is. And it happens way more than, than what you would expect. And most of the feedback I've heard too is pertaining to how soon you can put it out before your collection day. Because people are tired of seeing it out for a week or they come through and guess what, their cans are in the middle of the street, everything else for the next two or three days. So when you do your communication and everything on social media and everywhere else, are we gonna reinforce the timing for putting things out? Yes, we certainly can. That didn't change at all, but we certainly, right. can, we certainly can bring it to I light. saw it in there, but sure. yeah, we should remind some folks. And then what happens if they're consistent offenders? Should they just call you? Call the office, or we yes, we have people that call consistently on their okay. neighbors every month okay. because they're always putting things out. 
Um, now we will have the additional um, leverage of using a civil infraction if we need to, mm -hmm. to get those folks' attention. Okay. Yeah. Good. And again, the civil infraction will just be a tool. It won't mean we use it every time, mm -hmm. but if we have somebody who's putting out materials early every month and we have a record of it and we've sent them their letter and we've told them, please don't do this, and we've you know, charged them to pick it up once, then the next step would be to go to that civil infraction to try okay. and stop the behavior. One other, one other point I would make is, you know, I looked up, uh, it's on this timing. Trash and, and big pickup all have date, you know, you cannot put it out before this date. Recycling seems to have been left out. There's no time limit on how early before the pickup you could put out your recycling. I don't know if that was intentional or if that was an oversight. I, it probably was an oversight. Um, it, it's treated just like refuse and so it's six thirty the night before, yeah, yep, no later, or before. by yeah. seven thirty. By seven thirty in the morning, the morning. I know, it, doesn't, it doesn't say that for recycling. Yeah. It's also for trash. Yeah, we can always add that to our next update on the refuse rules. Any other comments, questions? Okay, thank you very much. All right. Any comments from the public? All right, Lacey, will you please read the resolution? This action gives second reading and adoption to an ordinance to amend the garbage, refuse, and litter section of the city's code of ordinances. Okay, motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. Okay, first and second. Discussion? I think pretty much done. Yeah, I think I made, I made, I made yeah. my, my questions and concerns. Okay. Public. Recycle, okay. All right, and we've captured the thing on making the change regarding recycle. And you probably added to my earlier point about the concrete, taking it off the included but not limited to doesn't really preclude it in the ordinance. Okay. But okay. Note that. Maybe it's covered adequately in regulation. All right. Ready to vote? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Nay. Okay. Passes. Okay, that takes us now down to item number 11. 11. Thanks. I'm writing on the wrong thing. I've got so much scribbles here. Sorry. <laughs> item 11. Landfill. All right. Since we're on the topic of fees, uh, let's roll into our first reading of the landfill disposal fees. Um, the landfill is an enterprise fund, so we need our rates to provide adequate revenue to co cover expenses. And if we recall, in April of 2022, we had our first increase to the landfill rate since 1993. Um, and at that time, we hired a consultant to develop a financial modeling tool for us to use going forward. In that modeling tool, uh, it factors in operating expenses, long-range future capital, um, perpetual care costs for when the cells are closed and we need to maintain them for the future, uh, planned capital expenditures, and then our working capital um, fund balance goals. Our landfill superintendent worked very closely with finance to make sure that all of the aspects of of running the landfill financially were included in that model. We also said we'd be review rates annually to ensure that our revenue is supporting our expenses. Um, and at that time, we also um, proposed rates, um, or I'm sorry, last year we proposed new rates, and then the rates are determined by waste categories, so we modified the waste categories last year to better match industry standards, because again, the rates, the categories hadn't been changed either since 1993. So when we look at each type of um, waste category and the rates that we charge, 
Those rates are based on several things. One is the rate of decomposition, so how long is that material going to sit in the landfill? Um, how well the material compacts in terms of how much space it's going to take up? Uh, the potential for creating any future contamination from the type of waste? If there's any special testing required by the state, like for example uh, with um, asbestos? And then the, a comparison to any industry standard pricing related to that waste category. So in reviewing the, um, the rates, these are what we were proposing based on the, the landfill superintendent's evaluation of each waste by category and the amount of total revenue we need to continue uh, bringing in to get us to where we need to be to support our capital plans. So, What is medical? Can you, I mean, who has that? It would be like doctor's offices or the hospital or, or those types of more um, bigger commercial collection. Um, no, there's a separate fee for that, the Sharps containers. Yeah, I saw yeah. that one on there. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's coming up. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so asbestos, we're looking to go from 18 to $22 a yard. That's probably one of our highest, um, most time-consuming commodity to accept. We have to do it early in the morning before the landfill opens so that we can cover it and make sure that um, none of the asbestos becomes airborne. Um, Yard waste, uh, just a tiny bump from four cubic or four dollars a cubic yard to four twenty-five. The medical waste bulk from twelve to fourteen. Demolition for twelve to fourteen. Compacted waste, which would be residential commercial waste that's brought in by commercial haulers. So, for example, the townships when their um, contractors bring waste in, that's considered compacted uh, commercial waste. That'll go from nine seventy-five to ten fifty per yard. Contaminated soils, sixteen to twenty-one dollars per yard. Foundry stand, 13 to 17.50 per yard. Grits and rags, which is a interesting category, uh, 13 to 17.50 per yard. Industrial waste, the same, 13 to 17.50. Main break soils from 11 to 13. Sanitary sewer debris and Who storm. Who is that besides us? It, it's us. It's water and wastewater. Uh, but again, they're they're enter they're um, enterprise funds as well. So right, right. you know, it's a, it's a cost for them. For right. us to handle the soils. I, I understand, I understand but I was just like. It's, it's mainly us. There may be some contractors involved if it's a really big break and we have to hire a contractor, but it's still from, from typically from, okay. mainly from public utilities. Okay. Um, sanitary sewer debris and the stormwater catch basin debris, $13 to 1750 dollars uh, Street dirt, which is from our street sweepers, $11 to $13. And then wastewater water plant sludge, $13 to 1750 there's no change proposed to residential self-haul fee. So right now, all Midland County residents get that three cubic yards free per month. Uh, we raised that rate last year to $12 for each additional cubic yard, and that's going to stay the same. Um, City Council also agreed in Dave Keenan's presentation earlier on the budget to $250,000 increase to the general fund again this year. Um, the general fund had been charged flat rate for years. Um, the staff will request similar increases, I think Dave said for the next three fiscal years to get us caught up to the true disposal cost rates. And then once we're caught up, uh, we will just charge those true disposal costs by volume so that we keep up with the, what we're charging the rest of our customers. Okay, what do you mean when you say what, the, what we choose the rest of our customers? For years, the general fund has been charged about $250,000 per year right. to, for, for tipping okay. fees. Um, when we take the volume that we dispose of each year and we look at the, the true disposal costs, that $9.75 per cubic yard compacted waste, um, 
we really should be paying about 1.25 million instead of 250,000. So we're changing that practice of that flat rate and we're we're increasing it each year incrementally so we don't get to you know so we so the general fund can absorb the change so to speak and then eventually we'll be paying 1.25 million a year like we should because of the volume we're putting in and at that point we'll continue to increase that rate as the um, disposal rates go up so we won't get behind um, our schedule like we are now okay so I, I don't mean to be greedy baby maybe it's gonna sound like that but what do we charge outside of the city limits is this what we're gonna charge for people outside the city limits to put stuff in our landfill yes because it's a Midland County landfill and we have what's called a closed landfill so when we put together our solid waste management plan for Midland County, we determined that our county would be closed county. And the trade-off for closed county is that we would charge out of county the same rates as, as city uh, city residents. Because oh. it's, it's not, it's, it's uh, an enterprise fund, so okay. the revenues pay. But that was one of the trade-offs to make it a closed county, which means any waste generated in the county has to go to our landfill. Even if you can get a cheaper rate by going to Gladwin County, for example, if you generate it in Midland County, it has to come right now to our landfill. Okay. So the trade-off was we, we decided on flat rates, and this was well before my time, but we decided on the same rates for anybody, whether you're in the city or in the county. Okay, in the city or outside of the city limits within Midland in the, County. Midland County, Does correct. anybody from outside of Midland County come and dump in our landfill? No, because it's a closed county. county. So, so no one can come order, Yeah, we're kind of like a bubble. Everything that's created here stays here and, and nothing is allowed in nothing's allowed out nothing's allowed in it's just Midland County waste now we do have emergency clauses for example during the flood we were able to ask the state of Michigan to allow us to um, to breach that agreement so that some properties just inside Gladwin County could haul flood debris to our to our landfill so we have the ability to under an emergency situation but under everyday usage we're basically a bubble everything inside stays and nothing else is, is allowed in so okay so that would work too for us should our landfill become full and we end up putting it in another county or another town outside of the city limits at that point we'd have to renegotiate that solid waste plan uh, what is the lifespan of that landfill do you guys expect it to Excuse go another right 100 now, years yeah right now we have plans to build out for another 40 years so our um, engineered plans at this point give us 40 years and then once that 40 years is is um taken up then there's additional plan planning that you can do I've been told by the landfill superintendent to build on top of um, the area and I don't know what that additional building on top would give us but we have 40 years based on our current plans how long has it been in existence do you know that the landfill that's Since a great question here, right I don't know I'm sorry I don't have an yeah. answer no question you probably can't answer is why isn't this under the county's responsibility Great, great question. I, I don't know the history that far back. Yeah. The landfill is in the city of Midland, yes. right? Yes, it's in the city of Midland, and it's it's owned and but operated. But if it's a county landfill, why not have? I mean, them as us. I mean, we're all you know, we all live in Midland County, so it doesn't really yeah. make a lot of difference at the end of the day. But okay, I just think okay, you've answered my question. We're a bubble. <laughs> Okay, so tonight I'm here for first reading of the ordinance. Uh, the new fees would take effect July 1st to give us time to notify our customers. And then, um, oops, that second reading and adoption is an error. Ignore that last line. So, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, 
So tonight I'm here for first reading. And can, okay. I'll deal with it. Okay. Any other any questions for Karen other than the ones we just asked? All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Any comments from the public? Okay. Lacey, will you just please read the resolution? This action gives first reading to an ordinance to amend fees for landfill disposal services. Okay, can we have a, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. A second? Second. Okay, first and second. Any other discussion on this? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. Okay, that takes us down to item number 12, which has to do with payment in lieu of taxes for Andy's place, Mr. Kane. Can I ask a question? Yep. I know it's coming off consent agenda, but this is just to give it to the Housing Commission to do their study, right? We're not voting on anything for this. Yeah, okay. I, I can comment on why I took it off. Yeah, that'd be good. Okay. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I've been concerned about, uh, it comes up here, but it comes up in other instances, is when we refer things to other commissions or councils, um, I really wanted to make sure that they're giving it the due diligence and, and critical thinking that, that they should, in my opinion, when they review it and, to, and come back with a recommendation. And so this is one, and that it's not a perfunctory thing, that it's, it's given serious consideration and it's kind of looked at so that we should be able to give a lot of weight to that, um, whatever decision they come up with. And so in this case, it's the, uh, the City Housing Commission. And if all they're doing is going through a checklist and saying, yeah, 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 that's fine, uh, that doesn't give me the kind of comfort or frankly provide me with the kind of weighty decision that, um, that I think we deserve when we refer to something. So in this case, it's pilot. We've had this pretty active discussions on pilot program since I've been on council. So it's not something we, we give or grant lightly, and this precedes your time here, Jacob. So it's, it's something that's important to us. Now here we've got something that to me is pretty far off the beaten path of what we've traditionally seen and what we have granted pilots to in the past. So the reason I wanted to bring it off consent is so that when, not that it won't be referred or maybe, maybe we decide something different, but if, when it assume, presumably will be referred, that the Housing Commission understands that this is something that we want them to treat seriously, we want them to evaluate critically, and come back with a, a you know a pretty well reasoned and well thought out recommendation. That's the reason I brought it up. Okay, I will let you do your introduction, and we can talk about it more after that. So, um, good evening. So, <laughs> the, the item before you tonight um, is a request from Andy's place, um, and that request is for a pilot. Um, for their project at 1510 Bayless Street. Um, the action requested tonight is for City Council to refer that request to the Housing Commission for review. I would anticipate that Housing Commission would review that request at their June 5th meeting, which is their next regular meeting, and then we would report back the findings uh, and recommendations of that review at the next regular meeting of City Council. Right. Questions? Any questions for Mr. Kane? I do have one. But it might be a historical one where, in the past, when we've approved pilots, they've 
typically been, I'm trying to word this so I don't offend anybody. Um, Affordable housing, no, attainable housing for anybody in the community. But this, because that's typically the pilots we've approved. And I see this as being different because it's solely for the drug court. But it's not helping others in the community with attainable housing. It's just one Specific. set of circumstances. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure if, like. Yeah, let, let's get into that during discussion. I think I, oh, I don't think right. that's an answer so, for. Well, that's all right. That was a question. That was that was a question for you. I mean, that was the yeah the presentation. So, that was presentation. Here it is. I mean, a question. I mean, I'd be happy to give a general answer to that, which is just simply the the current procedures that we follow were uh, earlier staff recommendation for the consideration of pilots by the city. That's not an adopted policy, but it is a practice that we follow when there's a pilot request made of, of the city. Um, in this case, the applicant does intend to pursue LIHTC funding through MISHTA. And that LIHTC funding generally requires that the local unit of government grant a pilot as part of that um, approval process. And so in that manner, um, the project is geared towards low to moderate income residents, although it is a subset of low to moderate income residents. Mm -hmm. And they would be subject to the same scoring criteria as any other LIHTC funded project, which is what the majority of pilot um, requesting projects would be seeking LIHTC funding through MISHTA. So then the common denominator is the funding that they're seeking, not necessarily... As it's been explained to me by many folks that I've worked with over my career that are mm -hmm. seeking this funding, MISHTA is looking for local commitment as a funding partner in a project that receives a LIHTC loan. And so the pilot is the primary way that that local commitment is demonstrated. Andy's place did get the LIHTC or they? No, no they're they applying. Would, they would, they're seeking the pilot as part of their application package to MISHTA. Yes. So that's similar to the, the normal order of things for any LIHTC project. And they did use LIHTC funding for their other project that's located in Jackson. It's actually mm -hmm. in Blackman Township, just to clarify if anybody goes to look it up. But that's a township near Jackson. But that's still a different type of pilot than we've previously approved? The pilot itself isn't different, but the type of population that the project would serve would be low to moderate income with the added requirement of being referred through Midland right. Park Court. Okay. No, the type of housing is different than what we've previously approved. The, no that, question. the housing's one and two bedroom apartments. So no, that's no, no, no. the housing we've been approved has been, has been housing that's available to the general public. public. Yeah, right. This is not available to the general public. And yeah. well, well, I, I, I just want to interject there because we're splitting hairs a little bit there. The type of housing is the physical form of the structure. <coughs> that's what okay. Mr. Kane's referring to. 
And that we have approved in the past and that we've looked at. Now what you're talking about is the programming and who is right. entitled to occupy those housing right. units. So that's why I said we're splitting right. the hairs a yeah. little bit, but you're right, that there is a difference mm -hmm. in that context. I just wanted to add, if I may as well, um, th th there is a distinction that's important to know, and, and Jacob's kind of alluded to some of this, in that um, there are some adopted pilot standards that this council has, has approved in the past. Um, but there was also concern at some point prior to my being here um, as well in the city where there were concerns about the numbers of pilot program numbers of pilot approvals that were being granted and there was a directive to review the standards that were in place for right. the city. Um, there was a committee assembled, um, outside sources, city staff, etc., all compiled uh, and came up with a set of recommendations. Those went through the Housing Commission. They eventually came to City Council, and then it gets a little muddy at that point in time because Council received them but never adopted them, but they've become the de facto sort of by default, if you will, mm -hmm. um, standards that have been used to review pilot applications ever since. So. Um, when, when Mr. Arnosky here, Councilman Arnosky, excuse me, um, says we need to know what the, the Housing Commission is going to do, um, unless you tell them differently, they're going to review it based upon the standards that they have in front of them. And so a, a valid discussion is if you don't feel that the criteria which were all set out in Mr. Kane's report are sufficient or broad enough, you need to ask them to do more because that's the direction they have from Council at the current moment. Yeah, and that's what... I am asking them to do more, and I'm not asking to, I'm not, I am not coming here tonight with an additional two more items on the checklist. I'm asking them to think. I'm asking them to really think about this, just like we're asked to think about it and, mm -hmm. and evaluate it. Otherwise, I mean, I'll, we can go through a checklist ourselves and go through one, two, three. The reason to bring in this body who supposedly has some experience and some perspective is for them to think, to apply their knowledge and, and, a, and a greater perspective from our, our community's uh, point of view. And so that is that is why I wanted to offer consent and that's the message I wanted to make sure got delivered to them is basically just to think. Uh, this is something that at least sounds like the mayor and Diane and myself at least see is is unusual. And this isn't supposed to be just a perfunctory check the box and bring it back to us. I, I'd really like them to think about it. I, I can promise you the Housing Commission does think about these requests. I've only worked with them on one so far, but they take just about everything they do very seriously. Right. If I remember, there was under 20 pilots in the whole city, right? There are uh, currently 22 approved. Oh, 22. The vast majority of those are um, was detached housing. Center City wasn't up. Center yeah. City yeah, that was. Is. Okay. Yeah. But that's open to the, anybody right. in that's the affordable community. affordable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the effect of this is, you know, and this, some of this goes back to understanding it is supposed to be for nonprofits, but the effect of a pilot is really the city's taxpayers contributing to the subsidy of this or of this. Somebody's making profit on it. That's correct. And that pocket, to, to a certain extent, that money's coming from the city's pocket, from the taxpayer's pocket. Mm -hmm. So that is, a, you know, a relevant consideration. So it, it, it anyway. Yeah. That's. Yeah. But the other thing I would like to, you, this list of questions that was sent. I think these are, I mean, we talked about these, but it wasn't aligned to this request. Um, but we've asked some of these questions, but I think all of these should be taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. I agree. Okay. Do you sit That's on that? commission? Do you participate? Do you, are you going to participate in that? I'm the staff liaison to the Housing okay. Commission. Yes, sir. So you're getting the message. 
Well, I, I would say <laughs> yes, but I would also reiterate that I think the Housing Commission is already doing that. Um, it's not a perfunctory checklist review. The Housing Commission generally receives a presentation from the pilot requester about the project and has a chance to ask them questions. Um, we do a thorough review as planning staff of the request, but ultimately, uh, as Mr. Kay said, we are looking at the criteria that are established by council, whether adopted or not. Those are the primary review criteria that we do use because we do want to have an objective finding, not a like, completely subjective conclusion. Okay. okay, I guess I do, I have one question. So this, how this was presented to us is that to be eligible for this housing, that you have to come be put forth by drug court or by recovery court. So it is not open to the public. So I, I guess I'm curious, um, what, what mm, or is it just drug courts in Midland County? That's the way I understood it. Okay. So, so rather than getting <laughs> okay. into the discussion yeah. about the details of it, I think the discussion that you as a council had when the land use issue was before you touched very heavily into how will this operate, who's going to operate, who's eligible, how long can they stay there, what restrictions can be put on place, uh, in place, right. excuse me, on the residents of the facility, et cetera. In other words, the general questions of how's it going to work? Um, I think those are all legitimate questions. I think we've heard that uh, from, the, from the council, at least that that's your areas of concern yeah. amongst others, um, and that that is something that we have the right to go back to an applicant in this case and say, basically respond to all these and mm -hmm. give us the information that we need to truly understand the function of this operation so that we can determine if it is a benefit to the community or not. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's why I said I don't think the checklist covers the kind of considerations we're talking right. about right now because we didn't anticipate that this type of a Situ yeah, operation this, right. would be requesting a pilot. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it was their plan the whole time though. Uh, no, it doesn't yeah. matter what their plan is. Yeah. It's what our plan is and right. what our guidelines are. Well, and so, one, I, th I think it is clear to us that we don't understand what's going to happen if our local drug court does not fill that up. So we have multiple courts. And the judge during the, when we were here, said, well, if it doesn't fill up, then we'll have folks come from um, the My Hope Court. That's a very different court than drug court. And I don't think we understand what the differences are. So. I mean, it makes, might make sense to him, does it? But, and they're not at all the same, I found out, after doing more work into this. That they're very different kind of courts with very different kind of populations. So who really, based on this, is going to, could possibly be there? Because if you look at the thing on the county's thing, it says drug court is nonviolent, nonviolent. If you look at my hope, that's not the same thing. So I think we need to know who's going to live there and we need to know how that they get chosen to live there. We need to know how they can be only Midland residents and there can't be a shell game where other counties can come into our court so they can access housing because maybe it's not full because it's too much housing for us. Is this too much based on what our need is? So should we look at the unofficial standard that we have maybe over the next 24 or 48 hours and any questions we think you know we'd like addressed we can add those in there or 
Is that something we you say? Know, I think the biggest, the biggest thing that drew my attention to this is I didn't see how this provides attainable housing to members of our community, to all members of our community. It is very it's, it's specialized. It's as simple as that. And that's where I thought, at least maybe that's where I think we should as a, as a, as a city and as a council, I'd love you to, go, to us all go in that direction, that pilot is for everyone providing attainable housing for everyone in the community. You know, no, <laughs> in, 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 at the time, you, know, you could say, well, why not give a pilot to, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think the only thing I'd say on that is you have to be cautious because the low-income housing tax credit isn't available to everybody right. in the community either. It is a population or a subset of the population of the community as well. And that may be okay, it may not be okay. I think you ultimately, you as council and the Housing <coughs> Commission, when they review it, they're going to have to take a look at that to see, again, does it meet this or satisfy a need in our community or not. Um, I don't know that we necessarily need to develop, unless you have very specific things that you want us to look at, certainly Mr. Kane's hearing, and I'm hearing this evening, um, the general concerns. We heard it the last time as well, and, and so I think we have a pretty good feel for you okay. in terms of what it is that you're concerned about and the things that you want us to look at, and specifically the Housing Commission to look at when they review this. So Mr. Kane and I can certainly work together based upon the discussions we've had to, to best formulate that and bring it forward. Uh, if it ultimately comes back and you're not satisfied with the review, you can kick it back to the Housing Commission and ask them to do more. Okay. All right, it was, they had to have a local partner. And I know that two organizations turned them down. They now have a partner, not necessarily a local partner, it's a regional partner. I wanna know exactly what their qualifications are for running a housing organization, what experience they have with that what experience and qualifications they have to work with a substance abuse disorder population, and you know what criteria are their employees that they're hiring to help do that, what they are. So if this is an organization, do they, are they doing it because they wanna do it or because they're truly qualified to do it, and what are those qualifications? I, I like that you brought up the My Hope thing. I did not catch that with Judge Beal. I went back and looked at the thing today, and he said, well, if we don't fill it up from drug court, we'll probably go to My Hope. That's a very, very different court. It's a very different court. And we need to, I, that needs to be clear. It was the violent thing that caught my yes. attention. Most jails are broken up. If you get arrested and you're violent, you go to a cell. If you get arrested and you're nonviolent, you go to a total different cell. And these people have work release, and the violent ones don't. And that's like for the whole state of Michigan. It's and, huge. And I believe that that wasn't discussed at the planning commission meeting either, that it was presented as just drug court. drug court, and none of the other courts were brought into that. So what are we really looking at? That's what I, and I would like to understand drug court more. How many people, I mean drug court, he, the judge had said that you know they started in 2010, They've had 60 graduates. I want to know, well, how many graduates do they really have? I went and <coughs> met, they have 18 people in drug court right now. 50 units of housing seems to be like a lot of housing for that. When did they go to, you know, when would they move in there? Would they be at the end of the probation, at the very beginning of the probation? How do they get there? Because some of the due diligence that was done, it was said, hey, they come in at the end of the probation, boom, they're off probation, and then, you know, because LIHTC requires that you cannot have services, demand services as part of a lease. That is written into the LIHTC rules. 
And so they come off of probation, then who oversees them? Who's responsible for that? Because they're out of drug court. Those are some of the questions I think we really want. So rock solid clarification on. Can you get all of us the lie tech rules? I mean, is it yes. a huge Chapter, document? Yes. You can just go down and I got them for you. Okay. To you. Okay. Okay. So seems to me if the Housing Commission watched this with your monologue <laughs> at the beginning, that'd be perfect. <laughs> they know all our concerns. Well, it was a very long meeting the last time, and it was very unclear. And they had no partner the last time. So, I've, so it concerns me now that it's not, a, it's not a Midland organization. They might, and you know, and even if they come back with this, it doesn't mean that, I mean, I think. But I also think uh, there's more concern in the community too. Well, let me ask a, a more procedural question. So the, the resolution before us is to refer a proposal. Mm -hmm. What happens if we don't refer it? Or we? So technically, under the policies that you've adopted, the procedures require that you accept and refer. Um, should you choose to reject instead of accept, that would be the end of the proposal this evening. We're done. It would be outside your normal operating standards, but if you don't refer it, it doesn't go any further. And that would be their decision. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're in discussion now. I'm comfortable with referring it over to them and everything. Let's see what they got, what they're going to figure out. We've kind of given the message over to you that we know that they do due diligence on other pilots and everything like that. That's probably the only thing I'd argue with you on that. But there's some special instances for this and everything that we want them to be aware of and check into. Yes. So. Well, and then it's going to come back to us, and that's not saying that we have to approve it. Or, I mean, we'll have the discussion after their recommendation. We don't have to accept the recommendations, and we right. can have the discussion then. So, well, but I, mean, I think if we refer it over to them, we'll get some of this stuff. Well, during the budget presentation, we were reminded of our goals, effective utilization of resources, economic sustainability, and services that enhance quality of life. So to me, that says across the board. So effective utilization, is this the best utilization of our resources? As it relates to, I mean, we just, I, the Health and Human Service and that Community Success Panel, we just recently heard the major issue that we face is attraction of talent. Well, that, with attraction of talent, what it goes hand in hand with is that we don't have any housing for them. That is not this kind of housing. Attra talent are not gonna come to Midland to move into Andy's place. You know, they're gonna, we need um, attainable, you know, housing. And we know that there's going to be some other units that are going to possibly come back to us, like the Oddfellow, the Oddfellows building downtown, which is right downtown Main Street. But it's so incredibly expensive to build, would it be better for us to put, think about that in the future and put money towards that than a limited group that might not even all be for Midland? I mean, I think the key piece is that it is Midland residents and not, a tra not transferred into the Midland Drug Court, or come in here and live for a day and then all of a sudden they're a Midland person. Yeah, I think we're just talking about the pilot aspect right. of They can still go forward with Andy's place, it's just that we're not, we're, we're debating whether to subsidize it or not. If I remember correctly, yeah. it was a 20 mil, it was over 20 years, this, this particular pilot, it was? It's 20 years in the LIHTC rules, but they said 15. 
They said they said at the end of 15 years somebody can pay can pay a dollar for it and buy it. Well, we haven't yeah, we haven't seen the proposal for the pilot just yet. No, but that's that's what the guy said. I mean. Yeah, that they were looking at 15. Yeah. So again, I feel comfortable sending it to the housing commission. Let's get their recommendation. Let them do their due diligence, and let's see what comes back from that. Because yeah, um, so I think read the we resolution need to, and then. I was kind of jumped ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I think <coughs> we need to make well, sure we have the data to make informed decisions. Okay. So we have your presentation, sir. Thank you very much. We, I, because we did get to our discussion before we allowed public comment. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Don't go too far, though. Is there any public comment on this issue? Okay. Will you please read the resolution? This resolution will receive the pilot request from Andy's Place Midland LDHA LP for Andy's Place and refer said request to the City Housing Commission for review and recommendation. Do I have a motion to accept? So move. Second. Discussion? We already discussed. We already did well, <laughs> but still. Well, uh, yeah, I think we need to see the data before we make any so decisions. Other things that we want, I mean, what do you have that we're going to ask them to cover? Did you write stuff down there? Oh, I've got some here. I've heard other comments before and other ones, but certainly we're looking at issues such as what's the local agency and the capabilities of that agency. Um, what are the true operations of this facility going to be, including what happens both during and after probationary periods uh, of the occupants, also including issues like when can they stay there, how long can they stay there, what can be done while they're there, can they be thrown out? Um, all of those would be part of the operational questions. Um, certainly the concern about um, whether these are true um, people that are going through the drug court locally or not locally, the relationship uh, or not with my hope. Um, and how that all works, the court stats. Um, you didn't get to it, but I've heard this comment before about if there's 18 that are in the drug courts now, how many of them actually will utilize this facility? Because everybody that has a spouse at home, for instance, is not going to go reside in this facility. Right. They're going to go back to their home. And so those are the types of statistics right. I think we should get from the court. Um, and I'm sure there's others, but those are the majority care categories. Yeah. That are and then the concept of, I think something that they need to look at is we have used the pilot program as our basically city to try to get attainable housing. It wasn't so well. Okay, sorry. That's what we've been using it for. I think historically, this is kind of like the city's program to help attain get attainable housing for residents. It for uh, everybody. Well, wait, wait, wait. Well, okay. Uh, I'm just well. Yeah. Uh, I'll just leave it at give it give mm -hmm. attainable housing. Okay. So I think we want the housing commission to kind of look at are we stretching that definition of attainable of housing. attainable or mm -hmm. you know this is what we've historically used this for should we make this I, I look at this as an exception of how we've used it in the past I think we used it in the past to get affordable housing not attainable housing yeah. okay. affordable yeah. housing means that we could have it for people who are low income mm -hmm. attainable housing means people have jobs I, okay. so this is this right. is <clears throat> and attainable housing is what we need mm -hmm. now i mean i'm not saying we don't need some affordable but attainable housing is what we currently need so yeah. how does this fit in with the need that i mean that has been publicly you know talked about as it relates to housing and a housing shortage that we have for folks who are out there 
working and employed. Mm -hmm. The other part of it is whether it's, you call it affordable or attainable, all of them are based upon an income level. and There's no re work requirement to live in this place either. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's and I believe that this isn't, this is permanent housing. There's a difference between, you know, you can live there and permanent housing because this comes with project-based vouchers attached to it. And I think we need to understand what a project-based voucher is and how that imp impacts folks. Because once you're there, you, you can stay there forever. That's my understanding of that. And I remember asking the question, is the objective for them to get the support and counseling they need, but to help them become citizens of the community that are working and move out of that. And I, I'm gonna go back and look, but I thought they said, yes, that is what we would like, but. Okay, well, the rules are, the rules are clear, pretty clear. What, and mm -hmm. I guess the other question is, is this really about recovery? Is this about helping them get better or is this a place, just a place to live? I mean, is this recovery housing where there's consequences? I mean, do you, what happens if you're, what if you're actively using? Can you still live there? I mean, I think that most people would think, well, whoa, no, you're trying to get better. But if you're actively, you know, I think that that's, you know, so our people, you know, I think that it's a, it's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. But to think that, you know, they're, they're there and they're not using, I think is, we have to understand that. Yeah, I think, you know, my initial position this first came to us. I was supportive of it. I, I rationalized, I understood what it was trying to accomplish, and I was okay with that. I, I'm not, I think I've indicated, I'm not comfortable with this going the next step and having this city subsidized through the pilot program. I just think it doesn't fit. So, I mean, I wouldn't even refer it as kind of where I'm at, but I'm not sure I could gain a lot from whatever the Housing Commission would tell me. I wasn't on the council for Center City, but I see Center City being built, and it was in the paper for six point six million. But this place was like triple that amount. They still wanted the well the because pilot. I think it costs them more to operate. Anyway, it, it, it's a different it's a different set of residents. It, it's yeah. pretty specific. It's pretty specific. I mean, I voted, I voted what I thought last time, so. So again, but I don't have a problem referring it to the Housing Commission. I think we'd be mm -hmm. getting more information, at least from them, instead of just stopping it right now. Yeah, I agree. What, what's the harm in getting additional information? Because we're gonna make the decision either now or later Let's see if we can get some of this information and everything on that through the Housing Commission. And I definitely don't want to make a decision without having more information. Okay. Well, if nothing else, I think we will get more information than we would have gotten if I hadn't pulled it off a consent. Oh. Because I think they're getting a hold of doing that. I think there are a lot. I think we're based. I think there's lots of folks on council who are really concerned about this. And I think we want to make sure that, you know, that we get that there's no conflicts in the information that we get because there's always some commitments that are being made, that have been made. I think this is, 
this is really very, very, this is an important issue for us. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very different, it's very different than what we've done in the past. And I want to know how that fits into our goals, council goals, and of course, and what we see as a key issue for our community. Where does this, how does that fit into that? Okay. We vote? Yes, we can. I see two and two right here. And I, I'm, I'm torn on both sides. I see this going one way and the other. What concerned me big time was that the people might not be from Midland. I, di I didn't catch that before. And that was what decided my vote from the last time when the judge stood right there and said all that. So I could I see this. <laughs> when well, right I got now? home, when I got home, my wife said, vote no on this. <laughs> vote no. She's adamant. And I, and I see it. And I... I I just don't want to, I see an opportunity to kill this tonight, and I see an opportunity to go forward. And I said, Lord, give me the right decision here, because this is hard. But you know what? We still need the data. I mean, we can shoot it down, but what are we shooting it down for? Let's get the data. Okay, we ready to vote? Yep. Okay, those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Nay. Okay. Was that a four, two? Three, two. Or three, three two. 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 Two, three. So it's not going forward? It's not going forward to the Housing Commission. Wow. You okay. voted no? I voted no. I you voted yes. So did I. <laughs> Do you want to vote again? <laughs> vote again? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I don't yeah. know, just to get that clear. No. No. Yes and yes. Yes. Well. So what's new? That's next. <laughs> so we will convey that to the applicant and advise them that the city Council was not willing to refer it for further review. So. Okay. Which means it goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So that takes us down to new business, which we do have new, I have some new business. I have some new business someplace in this pile. Hold on. <laughs> we have um, boards and commissions that need folks. So we have some boards that, and we have out, been out there and that have been out there and um, no one has applied for them. And individuals who are currently on the board are interested in remaining on the board. So we, we've had, so I think. Yeah. My recommendation would be that those people who are interested in staying can just can stay. Is that is that our right? Yeah. We, that was that we, was that was the rule. Yeah, we, we decided we, we would up. advertise for them with no other interest. We will simply bring them back for reappointment in a consent, typically a consent report. Yes. Okay, and then as it um, we and we do have boards that have a lot of applicants mm -hmm. that so um, have applied. So library board. Parks and Recreation Board, 
Planning Commission and West Main Street all have folks that have applied, who have applied. And so I've gone back to take a look at where we are with the matrix. Uh, the, yes. <laughs> um, so as it relates to the Planning Commission, it should be Tim Solar and myself. Okay. Okay. Parks and Recreation Commission. It should be well. It's what's it's kind of. It should be either Diane and Tim or Steve and Diane. So I think seeing Tim is on planning commission. On planning that Parks and Rec should be Diane and Steve. If you're okay with that. Okay. And the library board should be Steve and Marty. Okay. Are you guys okay with that? Sure. And the West Midland should be you and I. That's what I. That's what, what is I West Midland? West Mid it's, it's West historic Midland district. Historical yeah. District. Yeah. Historic district. West, West okay. Main Street, the okay. historic district. My more feet lines over there. <laughs> Sounds good. You haven't seen how many applicants you got on a couple of those boards. <laughs> You're like six that's or seven great. of them no, in some cases. It that's is good. That's good. That's good. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. All right. So, so Rachel, we will have us. Rachel reach out and work with you on dates you're available and start setting those up. Okay. I want to go back and talk about one other thing. I've got to take a step backwards here because you said you thought I said yes. And you said you thought I said yes. I think I said no to I the vote. I thought you said no. And well, you clarified what your intent was. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. All right. <laughs> How soon do we have to do these interviews? Before the end of the fiscal year. So July first is the tip. Unless okay. they're already open, July first would be the effective date for any new appointment. So between now and the end of June. Okay. So I can say that for the library. Which what board did I say you were? None. I'm at, yeah, we're on library. Library Parks and Rec was Okay, library has eight people. Parks and Rec has one, two, three, four, five. Has five people that have applied. Okay. And planning, because one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We have seven people that have applied for planning and one person for West Midland. So we'll. Someone will call us to make arrangements um, for scheduling. We, we and then talk we'll, like she's not in the yeah, room. <laughs> and we'll try and uh, get all of that um, at that time. Okay. okay. Very good. All right. So are we ready to adjourn then? We're adjourned.
This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website cityofmidlandmi.gov slash mctv. We hope you enjoy the following presentation.